0: In a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig putting in the hard yards ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Joco Hydrate sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy, supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Joco Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance, and not to mention taste bloody good. So head over to www.getsum.com.au and use the code ZEROLIMITS all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. Five, five, one, seven, 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 seven. It's time for the Zero Limits podcast, hosted by Australian veterans, chatting with high-charging humans
1: with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you, and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go.
0: Zero Limits listeners, I just want to quickly tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. As you might guess by their name, Three Zeros, it's run by a couple of current cops. They've jumped on board to supply us with plenty of caffeine at home and while recording in the studio. To kickstart the day, I'll have a cup of the heavy hitter. Generally, I drink it long and black how I like my men. <laughs> and throughout the day, I'll over-caffeinate myself with the pour-over filter bags. They're just so easy to use. So head over to their Instagram, give them a follow, and to make a purchase, head to the website, threeszeroscoffee.com.au. Also, while you're there, use the code 3ZLIMITS with a capital L for a discount. Let's go. Zero Limits listeners, on today's Zero Limits podcast, I am joined in the studio once again by an officer. Dirty <laughs> officer. To make it even worse, a RAF officer. <laughs> <laughs> the best kind. Spence, uh, 15 years Full-time service in the RAF. His name is Luke Shepard, and we'll definitely touch on what he did as an officer uh, in the RAF. But uh, Luke, mate, welcome to the show. Quick one. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks yeah, for me along. Mate, appreciate you coming in. Now, we've been chatting for a few weeks now, trying to get you on, and obviously I've been cooked for the last couple of weeks as well. And we've got uh, Vinny on, which we'll definitely uh, talk about a little bit further down the track. You guys are doing the 250 for 250, yep. which Good is basically... On. yeah. Uh, Vinny, his podcast will be coming out as well, and you guys have your own separate charities, which eventually you two are going to come together and do this 250 for 250, which is basically a 250-kilometre fucking walk from Sydney all the way up to here, which is absolutely bloody loose. 100%. Especially for a couple of Air Force blokes. <laughs> One bloke that flies a fucking plane, <laughs> he'll, uh, he'll struggle, I reckon. <laughs> yeah,
1: we'll see a couple of strugglers, I think. The whole team's full of pilots. So Is it? They don't normally work no. walk, walk further than their desk to the jet. So, <laughs> Mate, yeah. So, yeah, we'll definitely touch on the 250 for 250 down the track. But, uh, yeah, mate, again, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for the opportunity, mate. Really appreciate you having me along and allowing me to speak about these things that I hold dear to my heart. Yeah, definitely, mate. And obviously, you know, touching on the the officer side, as I spoke
0: about offline, mate, I haven't really had any officers on other than pilots and all that type of thing. So, you know, and you being a, a ground officer, yeah. you know, it's a different uh, aspect to the podcast and love to, you know, find out exactly what that pipeline is throughout the RAF. So, mate- Before we crack on with that side of things, let's get back right to the start. Let's find out about young Luke, mate. Where'd you grow up? Schooling, you know, siblings, et cetera. And, you know, were you a bit of a a rat bag?
1: Uh, Sometimes, yeah. So I'm I'm probably fifth generation military. Um, It's as far back as we've mapped. So that's Army, Navy, Air Force. My grandfather was Air Force um, and he flew in Vietnam. So my father was Air Force. He was an air traffic controller and I was – born in Ipswich, he was posted to Amberley at the time. Um, Queenslander. Yeah, Queenslander, 100%. (laughs) So we bounced back and forwards um, most of my life between here, Port Stephens, uh, and Darwin Northern Territory, and we did a posting in Tyndall as well. Um, So schooling for me was pretty disjointed, but there's a whole bunch of positives with that as well in terms of character building, learning how to build friendships, building that confidence up, going to a new school every two or three years, just typical Air Force brat sort of um, set up, um, spent a, a lot of time in the Northern Territory, which I loved. I missed that place. Um, the outback and, you know, all the animals, the, my father took me on a lot of adventures in the outback, um, camping, fishing, all that sort of good stuff. Wait,
0: sorry, in regards to Townsville, uh, sorry, Darwin, yep. uh, the Air Force Base, where's, where is that?
1: Yeah, it's in Darwin. Yeah. yeah but yeah. like where's, whereabouts? Uh, so it, it's East, I'd say it's East of the city yep. in like the shittest part like most air force bases are because jet noise. How far is it from Robertson Barracks? Uh, Robertson Barracks is in Palmerston, so about half an hour. Yep, yeah. Yep. Um, it's it's the it's the, it's the international airport, so it's the same same strip. Gotcha, gotcha. Just the other side.
0: Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Fuck yeah, I never even fucking thought about where the, the air force base was up there. Yeah, you know?
1: just the other side. Just look across. Yeah,
0: because obviously here in Newcastle, mate, as you know, same thing, Williamtown. Yeah, but you see, obviously, see the jets
1: flying. Yeah, I heard them
0: flying this morning actually.
1: Yeah, Probably Vinny. Yeah, it probably was. Chucking the burners. Taking in.
0: the piss. <laughs> Wasting taxpayers' money. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's it. So, um, yeah, schooling was a bit disjointed. Um, fell behind a little bit, jumping from Northern Territory back to Port Stephens or Newcastle uh, for my final couple of years. They were pretty pretty tough. Putting a lot of study and stuff to try and catch up because the Northern Territory schooling system's not quite up to scratch in terms of the southern states. Maybe it is now, but it wasn't back then. Um, I turned 18 at the start of year 12, which was a bit of a shit show mm. because then I could buy beers, I had a car, I had all these distractions. So um, it was a lot of fun, but it was also a bit of a shit show. Yeah.
0: Mate, it's, it's funny you say that. Obviously here in New South Wales, you know, most year 12ers are 18 years old, which I think is absolutely fucking... Bizarre. Mm. I think it's stupid. Obviously, up in Queensland, mm. you, you know, year twelve is seventeen, so you can't you gotta get fake IDs and you gotta get You're still someone it. else to yeah. Yeah. You get someone else to buy your booze for you. But yeah, down here it's loose. Yep. I don't know how that works with study. But um mate, just just back to, you know, this disjointed, you know, growing up as a child. Uh, siblings? Have you got siblings
1: as well? I do. I have a younger brother. Yeah.
0: So you got a young? How? How? What's the age gap two, between you two? Two years. Two years. So that you you two kind of just stuck together. Obviously, making friends at different schools. You know, you make friends and then you mm-hmm. you move, then you lose them.
1: We actually we actually fought a lot. Oh, did uh, you? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were completely different people. So I wanted to go outside and fight and do all the things outside. Boy and, stuff. Yeah. And my younger brother wanted to play computer games. So I used to get really frustrated with him that he wouldn't come out and do the ragtag stuff with me. Um, so we used to fight a shitload, a lot, uh, up until about maybe 17, 18. Uh, and then we sort of gelled and we're like best mates now, super super close, we speak to each other all the time. And it's interesting how that's happened. We used to have some massive punch-ons, just us. Um, and yeah, just completely different people. And we've kind of f- found our way back. Back towards being a similar person now that we're adults, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, gotcha.
0: And how did you go? You know, how did you guys go again, mate? Making friends and then
1: making new friends again. You know, different different area every time. I think you you're forced into it. You're yeah, thrown in the deep end, so sink or swim yep. a little bit. Um, it was it was difficult, especially through high school. You know, they've got a little clicks and you're, you're mm. coming in. They've been at school the whole time together, and you've got to try and somehow um, insert yourself into those little groups and make yourself seem cool and so – but that's also a pretty valuable skill as you move into adulthood, I think. So there's a silver lining to everything.
0: And as you spoke about, mate, in regards to family history, you know, your fifth generation, so that's a fucking – that's going on a fair way back. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. Pretty much to the extent of what Australia is. Yeah. For five generations. Yeah. And obviously that kind of – I guess for you, you know, moving to the Air Force down the track, that was kind of like a subliminal messaging from your family. It's just in your – in your nature, basically, to join up, but you've been thirty-seven. That what nineteen eighty-six. Mm-hmm. So nineteen eighty-six, you don't join the air force two thousand six. So there's a bit of a gap there. What were you doing in between after you left school?
1: Getting pissed. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. So, just, just, just here in Newcastle, is it?
1: No, I was in Darwin. Oh, you're I back did, in Darwin. Yep, I did roughly twelve months in Darwin after school. Yep. I worked a whole bunch of random contractor jobs, serving beers. Um, I worked in like an industrial bakery for a while, which wasn't great in 42 degree heat. Um, But I was just earning money to have fun. I just had a year off while I was applying. It took quite a while to get through. Um, Took a couple of attempts, like most people. So year 12 is 2003? 2004.
0: 2004. Yep. So you had a a two-year period. Did you... Was it, was it ever aspirations for you to join the Air Force or, you know, military in, in general?
1: Um, so I wanted, to, I wanted to go to ADFA, to the, to the uni. Um, I was interested in studying. I didn't end up getting the scores I needed to go through ADFA um, in high school. So, but it was already in my mind. Like all the way leading up to sort of year 10, 11, 12, I wasn't keen to, um, to join. I was completely against it. But then I had a look at ADFA and that kind of planted the seed. And obviously you're right. It, I was. It's what I was used to. Mm. It's what I'd seen my whole life. I'd seen my grandfather doing it. I'd seen my father doing it. Um, I'd moved around so much that it felt normal. So it wasn't really a worry to me. And um, it, it, it felt comfortable, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. <clears throat> now for, for the guests, mate, you know, basically, as we know, 2001, September 11, fucking cranks on. Yeah. You know, you're only uh, young at that stage. 2003 the Iraq war kicks off the Australian army at that stage. Uh, we're in the Solomons, we're in Timor, we've done Rwanda, we've done Somalia since Vietnam. Did you have any concept of what was going on in the world when it comes to like September 11 and the, you know, the Iraq war when it kicked off?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um,
0: cause your father would, I guess
1: would have been gone bit of commentary. Yeah. Well, he went to Iraq. Yeah. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah. They had a air traffic debt in Baghdad that he was looking after. Yep. Um, I think he was actually removed from it, but he did a few trips into the country while I was there. Obviously I couldn't grasp totally what he was doing over there, but um, I remember they were, they were copying rocket attacks on them, air traffic tower, and they were over there mentoring the the local air traffickers. Um, what year was that? Uh, I have no idea, to be yeah. honest, off the top of my head. Yeah. I was still pretty young. Probably 2003. It would have been early 2000s, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah so I was always exposed to it. He did Timor as well. So I was exposed to that sort of deployment culture and what comes with being away for a couple of months, um, seeing it from the other side as a kid, not having your old man there for four to six months at a time. Mm. Um, so I definitely understand how that affects a family.
0: And he gave you, you know, a call here and there and basically-
1: He did, yeah. I don't yeah. think the comms were as good as they are yeah, now. Yeah, of course. You know, you're FaceTiming your, you know, your wife or yeah. partner every night. Um, but yeah, he was definitely giving us a call. It's hard to relate down a phone line though. Especially, um, especially when they're so far away. That's it. You've enormous. got that weird Obviously, delay. as well. Yeah. That, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So you can't so tell you too much. Yeah.
0: There's only so much you can tell, a, you know, a 15 year old kid too. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So as you said, mate, you were, you know, the plans were for you to head down to ADFA. Where did that officer side of thing come in? You know, why not,
1: uh, you know, non-commission? I don't really know, mate, to be honest. Um, I think if I look back now and I knew the difference between the two, I probably would have chosen enlisted, um, well, it's difficult to say. Like uh, my old man was an officer. His old man was an officer. I, his old man was uh, one of the last enlisted pilots. So he's a sergeant flying all sorts of different aircraft and he didn't want to commission, but they forced him into it. And then my old man was the same, enlisted as a rad tech, um, commissioned to air traffic control. And maybe it was because of the whole ADFA, um, the draw of ADFA, direct entry officer is just where I it up yeah yeah I, I don't think it was really by design
0: any, any thoughts of the Army or the Air Force oh uh, sorry the Navy
1: Air Force felt familiar to me yeah, of course yeah, yeah. Of the family um, if you go back far enough there was army in there um, but the, I hadn't been the exposed better part. yeah that's right <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the more motivated part maybe <laughs> um the I hadn't been exposed to the Army at all yeah. I didn't even know anyone in the army so i didn't didn't know about it yeah. it just wasn't in my field of view.
0: And in regards to, you know, uh, joining up, run run me through this process, mate. This is 2006 again, mate. All this stuff's happening with the Australian Defence Force starting to kick off. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the deployments to Iraq have already happened, uh, deployments to Afghanistan, Timor again. Yep. That's all going. Mm -hmm. What was your thoughts? Were you, you know, officer, you're going
1: in as an officer.
0: Mm -hmm. How many other options are there within, I'm sure there's fucking hundreds of jobs you can go for.
1: Officer roles in the Air Force? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's... Well, uh, there's not a there's not a heap, you know. Yeah, No, there's not heaps and heaps and heaps. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I mucked around for a, for a year, like I said, uh, and then I got the call up to um, I went for pilot, like most guys. My eyes were too bad, and I was too too dumb. Well, I wasn't too dumb. I was dumb. <laughs> I was the lowest rung of suitability. Yeah, like put it that way. Put it the nice way. Um, so I probably could have waited around and done a flight screening, which is just a screening tool to see if you got it. Uh, but that would have taken quite a long time, I think, because I was on that lowest rung of suitability. So they offered me air defence air defence officer, which is now called air battle manager. Um and I took it and I and I joined. So about twelve months to two years after I finished school, uh off I went to Point Cork in Victoria. And what's that role, air defence officer? Uh, that is a that's a a a man a lady who kind of sits in a in a room with a um, with a radar, and can see the blue and red forces, fast jets, and essentially tells the blue jets what the red jets are doing, and uh and gives them situational awareness. That's pretty simplified, but you, they can also fly in the E seven now as well. It's, it's a similar role, but um, airborne or ground based. Yeah, gotcha. From there, mate,
0: again you get your enlistment date, you do all that, you know, standing in and getting photos and. Send you down to Point Cook, Victoria, for officer training school. Point Cook, yeah. Yeah. How was how – like, how were you? And how was your family? Were they pretty ecstatic that you joined,
1: joined up? Yeah, I think they were. My, like, my old man never put any pressure on me to join, but, but I think he was secretly yeah. happy. Uh, he didn't let on too much. I knew he was proud that I was joining the Air Force. Um, but, yeah, I don't remember, a, a, you know, a big, a big hoo-ha about it. I remember freaking out as an 18, 19-year-old leaving home and – getting down there to join this course that I didn't really have much idea about. Turning up on the first day and um, Point Cook's freezing, absolutely freezing cold. Um, where is
0: Point Cook? Sinbrook- yeah, like where? Sa- near Sale. Is it? Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Don't yeah, even know where it is. Close-ish to Melbourne, freezing. Um, a lot of history there, a lot of Air Force history there. Interesting place. Um, I remember it being very cold and wet, but I also remember the course being – like school, you know, it's not officer training for the Air Force is, is fairly tame. Yeah, how how long's the the course? Right, we're going back now. I think it was fifteen to sixteen weeks or something like oh, that, that yeah, as a right. direct entry guy. And how many blokes are we talking? Blokes and chicks? Um I wanna say about thirty.
0: Yeah. yeah so yeah, like mostly, size. mostly
1: medical. Yep. So they they seem to stack uh, well they used to stack um, certain courses with medical staff. So we had heaps of doctors and nurses. Yeah, which was good. Because they had a whole uni life, so they actually had some life experience. Yeah. They weren't like me, just an idiot coming off the street. So, we actually, had some adults on the course. Yeah, <laughs> mate.
0: In regards to the training down there, you know, run us through that. You know, that sixteen weeks. What are you getting taught? You know, just the basics of the military in general. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the basics of uh, becoming a, an officer.
1: Yeah, yeah, got to use the yeah. knives and forks, yeah. probably, mate. Tucking yeah, in, yeah, exactly. Um, so there actually is some of that stuff on the etiquette, course, or like well, an they, etiquette type thing. There used to be. I'm yep. not sure how it is now. The course is very different now. Um, there's a lot more hugs, I think, um, but <laughs> a lot more dresses. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it was there was leadership uh, training. There was military knowledge stuff, uh, knowledge about the air force doctrine. All of the things that you can sort of think about at RMC just transferred across to, to Air Force. There was some uh, some PT, which was pretty light, nothing nothing hectic, especially for Air Force. Um, they did a few battle PT sessions. They did some leadership stuff in the bush, uh, navigation, but very light touch, I would say. The leadership stuff was, was decent as a 19-year-old having never done that. They had scenarios that they ran in, in the bush um, outside of Sale, sail um, in one of the national parks but, um, yeah, as a 19-year-old, it was still reasonably conf- confronting and challenging. Um, looking back on it now, it's obviously a non-event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, mate. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, like weapons, did they do weapons down there? Obviously just the yeah,
1: Steyr and- Yeah, just the Steyr. Yeah. yeah. I think that's all you just basic. Yeah. That's all you ever carry, that or a pistol. Yeah,
0: yeah and as you said, mate, I guess you kind of had this disciplined life growing up at home with, with your dad and, you know, uh, relatives- how would you find that discipline in the defense force? You know, it, it, I guess, I don't know how, I know for the fact that down at Kapuka it's quite motherfucker, yep. get it fucking done type thing and they yep. rip shit up and throw fucking your shit everywhere and yep. same as Singo. Yeah. Is is, was that similar? No. There
1: was none of that. There was none of that? <laughs> no. There was no. <laughs> no, I was standby beds, for room ins- ins- inspections, but it, it wasn't, there was none of that, um, none of that really aggressive stuff. It was just, you just got written up. Yeah, and debriefed on it. I guess I didn't even know what the repercussions were. Yeah. Um, I found the I found the study and the uh, testing and stuff reasonably easy, like you know, sort of high school level easy. Um, but yeah, there was none of that crazy stuff. It was all. I think there were a few flight lieutenant or captain equivalent doctors on our course, which was really weird because the MSIs were all um, sergeants. Yeah. So that was a, a weird relationship there because they were pretend flight lieutenants that just kind of got it because they'd been at uni and done a medical degree. So that was interesting to watch.
0: What's MSI? What's what's
1: something? Mil- military skills instructor. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I'll probably screw that up. It's just yeah. the, the the DS.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So, mate, as you said, you spend about the 16-week uh, mark down there. You graduate, mm-hmm. family come down? They did. Yeah. yeah. How was that? Like, they were just, everyone's proud? and
1: Yeah, it was good. You do a little march around with a sword. Yeah. You know? around the sword, which is strange now. I haven't touched one since I joined. So you learn all this sword drill and then you do it when you graduate it's it, it's and you cool never on. touch it again, like
0: not everyone. Unless you're on the parade ground, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people, like a few people touch it again through their career. I've shied away from that massively. Um, and normally if they get stabbed with some position on some parade, they have to learn it again because they've forgotten. Yeah. It's been years since they've touched these swords. Um, but yeah, so you march around with the sword. Um I think there was like a one star that came along and presented everything. It's going back a fair way, but I remember the family was definitely there. Yep. Big support. And from there, you move into
0: surveillance and control training school. So this is, again, this is like the IAT's initial employment
1: training. It is. Uh, specific name. for your role. Yeah. So it's um for the air defense officer role, which is what it was called back then. Um, surveillance Control Training Unit, I think it was, um, which is still in existence. That is, that's the ITs for those guys. So uh, I forget how long the course was. Maybe fifteen weeks. Yeah, pretty um, extensive, decent. Yeah. yeah, maybe fifteen weeks, and it was. Um, it was rough. It was it was a difficult course. I was young and I made a, a bunch of silly errors, um, and th- they're graduating guys at a, and girls at a, at a reasonably high level um, in terms of controlling jets. And they still pump guys and girls out at a high level. Um, Four out of five people on that course didn't get through. I was one of those people. Um, So they they binned us, um, but they gave us the opportunity to uh, re-roll into operations officer. So, um, yes, actually it was emotional. Um, I think most people that go through there can probably say a reasonably similar, have a similar similar experience, Mm. unless they're turbo brains. Um, Some guys fly through it. But... um, you know you're live controlling jets uh on a radio looking at a radar screen um so yeah it was it was challenging a lot of timeline based and in regards to that, controlling jets do you remember like i guess the
0: first time talking to a jet just going fuck mate sh- uh hey mate
1: that was absolutely shitting myself. <laughs> just no yeah just cluedo man i had no idea what i was doing um probably part of the reason i failed the course <laughs> yeah yeah but, um, but yeah, it was fun. It was, it was an interesting job. It's still, you know, it's an interesting job that these guys and girls are doing. They're now doing it in the back of the E7 too. So a flying radar, um, which is pretty cool too. Pretty cool capability. So when
0: you said you failed, you got re-rolled into the operations officer side of things. Did you move from there to go do another course?
1: No, no. So operations officer is almost like the general hand of the officer world. So a lot of people fail into it. It's a, it's a weird mustering, um, it's kind of got this stigma attached to it, where it's all the lemons go there, and and that's wide widely true. Um, but it was choose your own adventure, so there was it wasn't in existence. It was just being stood up, which is why they wanted so many of the guys coming off those courses in that mustering. And they uh, they said you can go to ninety two wing and work with the PA. It's the maritime patrol aircraft, and we'll give you a deployment. So three of us went across there. Um, most of those guys have now switched into different jobs because it's kind of just a holding pattern. Um, I stayed in that role for quite a while, failed, failed a bunch more courses, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then kind of choose choose your own adventure, you can end up doing some interesting roles. You can get completely shafted as well if you let it happen. But if you make, make your own bed and kind of um, network and then try and create positions for yourself, fight for responsibility, uh, fight for work, fight for positions that are normally slotted for aircrew, and all these different sort of job specs. You can actually do some some decent stuff. Yeah, so make the best of a bad situation, I guess.
0: Yeah. So again, that mate, you said that course was again another what, fifteen, sixteen weeks?
1: Roughly, yeah. Yeah, roughly off, off the top of my
0: memory, yeah. So eventually, you graduate uh, basically as a qualified officer, is that?
1: Yeah. So operations officer didn't even have an IET. That's how new it was. So we went across to 92 Wing in Adelaide, which was completely new to me. And they had their own course that they ran, which was maybe a week long. Like it wasn't, it wasn't much. So there there was no, and then we're on the, we're on the job. Um, As operations officers for the wing, I eventually moved into um, ten squadron as a tasking officer, which was a...
0: This is in Adelaide?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm still with the P8s as a tasking officer, which was probably two or three ranks above where I should have been sitting, which was good. I enjoyed that. Uh, while one of the um, squadron leaders went off to his probably 10th deployment to the, to the Middle East mm. as a cash grab. Uh, P-8, mate, that's, that's a plane. Is that a plane? Yeah, the Maritime Patrol aircraft. So it's got the big stinger on the end of Oh, the, yeah,
0: yeah. The I know what you're
1: talking about. Propellers, yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a good posting. I kicked and screamed to get out of there. Uh, I didn't really like Adelaide. And I was comparing it to the East Coast. Which was the hardest part. That's, yeah. So this is
0: 2007. How long do you spend down there?
1: Roughly two years. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. She, maybe, is, maybe a bit less.
0: Is there is there any talks of any deployments or anything?
1: I did a deployment, yeah, yep, to, there you go. to Minhad. Yeah. Yep. So they, they came through on the promise, and I probably would have got a second one if I stayed for another six months. Yep. They were rotating guys through there pretty quickly, we're either there or um, in Darwin doing Resolute because um, Resolute was massive at the time. It
0: was, yeah. Yeah, yeah I did it. or oh, they call it relax back in those. Yep. Yeah, it was I think applied. I did one relax before it switched over. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now, as you said, mate, you get your uh, first deployment to Al-Minhad, which is in Dubai. Yep. And, yeah, yeah. mate, run us run us a little bit through this, mate. Like, what was, this supporting? was this supporting the support, was the supporting the efforts in Afghanistan, Iraq?
1: So I was actually there as we transitioned um, from – Catalyst to slipper, I want to say. Yep. Hopefully I haven't screwed that up. So from Iraq to Afghanistan, um, it, it looked like 12 to 14-hour d- uh, days, shifts. Um, we actually had a decent amount of responsibility over there in terms of uh, collating all the information that the air crew needed to fly, putting it in a briefing pack uh, and a folder, and then standing up and del- delivering a mission brief Um Prior to the aircrew stepping to the aircraft and doing the mission, so the opsos as much as they were the general hands were given quite a lot of responsibility in 92 Wing. They were doing it quite well and using them really well. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed understanding how the whole thing fit together, sucking all the information in these guys needed, deconflicting, um, you know, giving them the information on which aircraft were going to be in the airspace with them at, the, at that same time. Um, and then briefing the crew on it was was quite rewarding. And this is this is for all aircraft, uh, basically in those areas of operations.
0: We're talk- uh, it, it, There's air fast jets. Or were was there fast just, jets yeah, in the Yeah. Or we're we just talking about like, uh, you
1: know, fucking Globies and. Uh, so I was only briefing the P8 guys, but there there were other aircraft gotcha. in, in the gotcha. airspace. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, so, right. Yeah, I was just attached to those guys. Yeah.
0: And sorry, just again, mate, for a dumb fucking grunt, the P8. It yep. was kind of like a surveillance type.
1: It was. So yep. it's normally a maritime patrol aircraft, but they, they were using it as an ISR asset um, over, over land. So they're using the EO pod um, to conduct surveillance. That's that thing at the front where they basically can just watch a- just a camera. Like a battlefield surveillance and- Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: And how how'd you find that, mate? Like, again, this is live operations. This is the real fucking deal.
1: Yeah. The jets are actually doing some real work. They were doing some good stuff, Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of being on the ground and, and, and the deployment, it was, it was an easy deployment. You know, we're in Dubai, so there's nothing, there's no danger. Um, you know, the, the guys are doing runs in and out of Dubai going shopping and stuff like that. So it's similar to being in Australia. You're just in the Middle East. The aircraft is flying into country, but you're not in country. Yeah, of course. It was pretty, um, pretty cruisy. Uh, the base that we had there, we were sharing with the Canadians and the, and the Kiwis at the time. Um, it doesn't look – it didn't look anything like it does now. There was no army headquarters there. It was essentially, it was essentially the P8s, uh, some Hercs, Canadians. Like, there wasn't a lot there. So it was better. When the when the army moved into Minhad, it shit got a lot, a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> Mate, it's too, it went it's to shit. Too many people I know. with not enough to do making rules up. Yeah. Just making rules up That's for the it. sake of it to justify their own position. So. Yeah. It went downhill from there. It was a lot less enjoyable.
0: Oh, of course, mate, especially when the army comes in. They just fuck everything. There was just too many people. Yeah, and the
1: officers make some stupid decisions and then and the
0: diggers are just fucking just diggers just being <laughs> dickheads and breaking
1: every rule possible. And That's it. Fuck. That's what we saw. And then every time a digger broke a rule, it was a new rule. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that would have been, I guess, so when did the – because I went through Q8 in 2008 –
1: I, was, I think they were just phasing out Kuwait at that stage, 2008-ish. I was in Minhad 10, I want to say 10-11. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they, yeah. that's no, no, they, that's not right. I was in Minhad way before that. 2008,
0: was Afghanistan. 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, they, I, I know they started switching because they were closing down all those bases in Kuwait to move it all to a, a Dubai-based side of things. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. What rank are you at this stage? Look, like, sorry, mate. you got to run me through these rank systems for um,
1: the On that deployment, I need to think, Um, I was a lieutenant, equivalent, flying officer. Flying officer is that what they call it? Yep. Yep. Just one stripe. So basically people got to throw the old boxer up every time they see it. They all know you're a jube as well. Stand fast. Yeah. Stand fast. (laughs) Never heard that through my whole career, but. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's massive in the army, man. Love fuck, if, if you have an officer that walks past, you know, like, fuck, if you don't yeah, they will right. Stand Fast, mate. They'll fucking lose their shit. That's a bit. <laughs> yeah. A, like, a, like a, you know, a brand new subby out of, you know, uh, out of school, and they'll be walking through the battalion if you don't stand fast, yeah, mate, it's the fucking end of the world. And yeah, right. You almost
1: get charged. It's, a, it's how bad it is. Yeah, that's not a thing. Yeah, is not it? No. Yeah, right. Not a th- you mean Outside. No, like just anywhere in general. In a building or outside. Fucking everywhere. Anywhere. Just everywhere.
0: Anywhere. If you see an officer and you're sitting down and he's just he like just they'll they'll do it sometimes, literally pop around a corner just to catch his off guard. Just so that stand fast and fucking everyone's
1: up throwing fucking boxes. It's a different culture. Oh, no, mate. there's none of that. That isn't a thing. Obviously when you're walking around you salute, but there's none of that stand fast yeah. stuff in the Air Force. No. Yeah. We to take the piss we did it a few times in Afghanistan, just hoping I suppose that.
0: Taliban would see who the officer is, just so you could salute him. <laughs> nice, mates. So from there, uh, two thousand and seven, you finished that deployment. How long?
1: How long were you spending in that role? Uh, that, that one, oh, that was four months. Four months. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, so it wasn't too long. The Air Force ones were pretty quick. I, th- I think I sort of timed my two deployments when they were, both, when they were four months ish. Um, they weren't out to six or anything like that. So, Gucci.
0: Yeah, so four months back to Australia, mate. Bit of bit of cash behind you. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you got to be cash behind you because you're an officer.
1: Mm, yeah, just rolling, in it. <laughs> just, just rolling. Champagne and caviar, mate. Every <laughs> time. And then you get an
0: appointment to our uh, four squadron.
1: Yeah, that was a, a posting in there. Yep. yep. Um, so I kicked and screamed to get out of Adelaide. Uh, so much they let me go so early. So roughly two year mark, I um, I headed back to Newcastle. Um, so that's where four squadron is. Yes. Yep. And what is is Four Squadron? Four Squadron's an Air Force unit that works with Army. Um, airline integration is, is kind of their core role. Um, yeah, they have specialists in there that attach to Army and, and do everything Air Force for Army units that are deployed. So you're talking about the, the Troy Knights, the combat controllers.
0: I am. Side of things. Is this where you met? Uh, I met Bob, Troy. Yep. Norm, Wait. as they call him.
1: Yep. Yeah, I met Norm. <laughs> I don't know if he likes that name anymore. But <laughs> yeah. I met Norm when I posted in... Um, I want to say, yeah, around 08. Uh, yeah, he was there. He was already there. I think he, not long done, done selection and, yeah. and, um, and was kicking around the unit in Merrill's with a Mohawk most likely, most likely. I can't really remember, but, um, yeah, he was definitely there. He's one of the, one of the old school guys that's been around there from very close to the start.
0: Yeah. So when you get posted there as, I guess, an officer, like, where do you sit on the, on the scale there?
1: Because Low, mate. Yeah. Low. low. As an operations officer, um, it was definitely a pretty big step back in terms of responsibility. Um, the unit was so small that it, I got shunted off into this weird little foyer area uh, and um, they didn't, they weren't using their operations officers outside of 92 Wing or probably surveillance and response group um, the same way. So I wasn't turned into an air ops kind of guy. So um, I would answer the radio when the, uh, when the aircraft took off, logged their times. It was just an administrative role to be honest. Mm. Um, but then from that point I had to fight my way into, I, I guess the trust tree and, um, roles that were interesting and had some responsibility and you kind of, in those sort of units, you've always got to prove yourself anyway, which was quite a big, of big, course, yeah, big thing to do with those guys that are starting this capability. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed that challenge. That posting ended up being you know, one of the best postings I did, but it it definitely didn't start that way. I started way way down the bottom doing these kind of shitty roles that were just part of the basic operations officer position. The, the guy that was there prior to me, um, I don't think kicked many goals, and and so I was kind of on my back foot as I as I stepped in there. But.
0: Yeah, gotcha. And <clears throat> sorry, mate. I just want to try and figure this out. So you got the yeah, you got the jets in the sky, and you've got you on the side and then you've got the combat controller. So you kind of like managing and kind of letting the, the combat
1: controllers know that there's planes in this area of operation type thing. Is that? No, no, no I didn't have any, when I first, I didn't have anything to do with those guys. Yep. They were off doing their yep. thing. Um, I was purely assigned to, they had, I want to say six PC nine aircraft, little buzz box turbo prop things mm-hmm. that they use for forward air control. Um, so front and back seater, they could drop smoke canisters to mark targets for the jets to bomb. Um, Purely sort of looking after them and, and working directly gotcha, to the EXO. Gotcha. Yep. So I was like the EXO's worker guy. Yep. Um, probably dabbled in a little bit of planning with him uh, a bit later. once I had some experience, but yeah, to start with, it was very low level stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha, mate. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now you spend,
1: what, say
0: a year there before you get your deployment to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mate, so. And again, Afghanistan's in full fucking swing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the, the guys were rotating through there all the time. Um, so I got a deployment with with the Heron, uh, which was the Australian ISR um, unmanned aerial vehicle, Israeli built, uh, no weapons, just a an EO pod. Like I said, um, was on the P eight P three, not P eight. That's the new one. Um, so Kandahar, I did four months there. Kandahar's pretty cushy as well, as you as you probably yeah, well aware. Yeah. Um, massive, massive American presence, just concrete plants pumping out concrete 24 hours a day, yeah. just mind blowing like a full city. Um, so the luxuries definitely weren't lacking there, um, like most Air Force deployments. But I got to see, I got to s- interact with uh, the guys up North and kind of see firsthand through the, you know, the soda straw of this little buzz box, um, UAV, what they were doing on the ground. So, uh it was interesting. I, I did a bit of work with the American Reaper. Reaper. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. So my exo at the debt, uh, could see that I was kind of bored and needed more work. And so I ended up as the L O between our debt and the Reaper debt. Um, Pred Reaper debt. So I went across and met with them. I watched them um take off and land the thing in the box. Yep. The guys in Kandahar were um their primary role was to just take off and land because you can't – there's a lag on the sat link so you can't um, take the thing off and land it from America or Hawaii or wherever these guys were based. So they'd do the mission, they'd do the tactical mission um, from like removed from Afghanistan but the, the guys on the ground had to take it off and land it and they'd do a few sort of local missions around Kandahar. It was interesting though. So they'd, they'd take off, then they'd hand the aircraft over to someone – in Hawaii or something, yeah, right. And it was almost like dialing in an old school TV. It was pretty f- loose. Um, they'd take control of the aircraft and they'd step out of the box and go back, and then they, and then they'd come back later and land it.
0: So that the sole purpose was just to take it off, uh, take off and landing, and then they'd switch I it to
1: eighty percent of the time, twenty percent they'd probably do local missions. Yep, just kind of surveillance stuff, or if someone fires a rocket at us and they get a, they triangulate it, they would put something over the top. Um, but yeah, it didn't look like a lot of fun. I don't think a lot of them were enjoying themselves, yeah. but they'd also filled roles outside of Afghanistan where they were doing the tactical mission with weapons. So the way the Australian air force did it is they, they sucked it aircrew in from all over the shop, uh, you know, fast jet guys, hook pilots, all the different kinds of air crew. They'd get them together, train them, and then they'd deploy them. Uh, to Afghanistan to fly this little UAV. So they had the corporate knowledge of none. uh, And these Reaper guys and Predator guys and girls had massive corporate knowledge because a lot of them had been in that job for a long time. That was kind of their specialty. So we wanted to bridge that gap between our guys and their guys. So we cross-pollinated. So I sort of ran that whole – it wasn't a training pipeline, I guess an exposure pipeline. So we'd have a Reaper or a Predator – guy or girl come across, watch one of our missions, give um, the Australian Air Force people some tips, you know, and um, and sort of say this is how you could do it better, and then vice versa. Mm. So we got that cross-pollination of corporate knowledge. It was, I think it was really useful for the um, for the aircrew executing the missions.
0: Yeah, right. Did you get to see any uh, Pred and Reaper feeds? Every day. Oh, fuck, yeah. Now we're talking. Every day of the week. There's some cool missions they do doing just – Fucking just ripping
1: in. Yeah, there was some. There was some cool stuff. There was some, there was a system over there. I can't remember what it was called, but you could pull up almost every feed in Afghanistan on your computer. No way. So I could have it's like YouTube nine to twelve kind of tiles of different. You didn't have any context. You didn't know what was going on in the yeah. mission, but you could see what they were looking at. And some you know each now and then some stuff would kick off, which was yeah, fuck cool. yeah. Some people like watching that stuff. Some people get really badly affected watching it. I, I never had any effects from watching. That's it. It's like a fucking PlayStation game. A little bit, yeah, because yeah. you remove,s moves, especially yeah. without the context of the mission. Um, I, part of my tasking was to go across to the Canadian compound They had the same aircraft, and I'd test the downlink for the video. They had a test kit we didn't, so I'd go across there and play with their – it's essentially a radio um, – to test that we had a link to our Australian aircraft so I could see what they were seeing on the pod. When I went across there, they would always want to show me their highlights reels. Oh, did they? Yeah, so they'd have hockey, <laughs> normally just hockey. Shitloads of hockey up on these massive screens in this talk. Yeah. Oh, chap, chap, yeah, come in, come in. I got a good one for you. I got a good one for you. And they'd show me the most loose stuff. Um, they'd always be kind of they were more involved, so they they would use their pod to film. Uh, I remember one that they used their pod to film uh, a Taliban guy sort of running through a field with a with a wheelbarrow. It was quite clear, clearly full of weapons, with like a rug over it, yeah, and yeah. he's like absolutely legging it. Very impressive, fit guy. Um, and they'd used a UH-1 Yankee, which is their up-spect Hueys, essentially, yep, yep. with two engines. Um They, I don't think they had any other assets in the area, so they bought this this Huey in, and the door gunner was the was the strike or Kaz asset, or you know, so just loose stuff like that. But yeah, interesting. Just and then they'd say, "Do you want to?" Do you want a Mars bar ice cream? Do you want to take some back for the boys? So I'd just scoop it out of there, four freezers full of disgusting food they had, and take it across to the compound. That's fucking sick. Yeah. I love some of that Predator feed. You know, the stuff you see on YouTube, I'm like, yes.
0: Because it's so clear, too. And, and, and these things are sitting kilometres in the sky,
1: and the feed is just amazing, isn't they it? They are. Yeah, the pot on the Reaper was mind-blowing. Yeah. I don't know how they get the clarity out of Well, that the
0: thing. payloads on these, do you know? The, obviously, the Predator... Hellfire, I think. Hellfire. Hellfires
1: and laser guided bombs too. I think. Yeah. No, not the Pred, the Reaper. The Reaper. The Pred only had yep. um, hellfires from memory. Yeah, the yeah, they went down a couple of times.
0: I think there was a couple of Preds that went down in Afghanistan when I was there. Mm-hmm. task us to go fucking try and go collect them before the fucking
1: locals of Taliban go get them. Yeah. As yeah. you interesting as you uh, drove into the the Pred Reaper compound at Kandahar, there's this huge wooden Crates, and I said to someone, I'm "Like, what are they? Just more Preds and Reapers? They just got crates and crates of these things just sitting there. Insane. Fuck. Just ready to go. So you crash one, pull one out of the box. Yeah, bolt it together. Just
0: brand. It's like buying a new fucking drone from JB Yep.
1: Yeah, the Brits <laughs> were there as well. The Brits had some Reapers too.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> there was heaps of. Uh, I don't know the Singaporeans were flying them, and all the different nations had their own. Assets in not UAVs, they? yeah, yeah.
1: There was a lot of UAVs in Kandahar. Yeah.
0: Yep. Did you? Did you have anything to do with the UAVs themselves? Like, as in just the reconnaissance ones? Just
1: the Heron, just the Australian Heron, and then that just that worked. That is that yeah. the one they
0: take off? They fucking throw it with
1: the hand to take off. no. Nah, nah. that one's too small.
0: What's that one where <clears throat> there's like a pole and they catch it
1: to S- land it? Scan Eagle. Scan Eagle. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. So I went. I went to out and visited the Scan Eagle. Day. Oh, did you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. You can just hold them. They're so light.
0: I know they'll throw them. Oh, I, was, I went down there one day checking out. I was like, "Fuck, this is wild!" And how they
1: catch it was, yeah, it was a fucking run pole into a pole. pole. Yeah. Run into
0: a pole. Like, yeah, I think
1: it was designed fun. to um, spot tuna. So they'd have oh, a was the it? pole on the the pole on the boat, and they just run it in the pole to yeah, to gotcha. Catch it.
0: Um, Fuck.
1: Yeah, it was just very basic. The scan eagle, not to not to can it, but it, it looked like a Sony like Sony handycam mm. strapped in like a bubble underneath this little thing. It's, With a whippersnipper engine on it. They were loud. That's the only thing. Because they had to be low to see. I think they went down a couple of times as well. Wouldn't surprise me.
0: Typical. Mate, uh, so how long you spend on that trip to Kandahar? Four months. Four months. Yeah, nice. Short trip again. And how'd you, you loved it? Obviously this is kind of like the real deal for you.
1: I enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of gym time. Um, Shifts again, which is normal. Living accommodation was pretty pretty decent. Bunks. Um, in like a hardened shelter, hardened combination blocks. Um, but yeah, you know, the luxuries were still there. I think it was Camp Baker. We weren't lacking much.
0: Yeah, I think we,
1: we might have flown through. I did fly through there once or twice as a private contractor. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, working with the guys up north and, and becoming the, um, later on in the, in the piece after the work with the Reapers and, and Preds. Um, becoming the the tasking officer or the the planning officer for for that um, debt so receiving the tasking and then divvying that out to the air crew similar to what I was doing with the P3s was rewarding and I sort of felt a lot more involved with the mission um, which is nice as a as a support guy
0: now during this time 2010 2011 the Australian defense forces losing a whole bunch of you know digs and uh, you know on the ground were you guys getting all this Information We were, yeah. And any of those jobs were tailored towards any of that type of stuff?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that – the Heron worked pretty closely with um, Task Force 66 in Tarrant Um Between them and, and the four comm guys um, was the – I would say the majority of the tasking. Uh, but we were having ramp ceremonies through Kandahar. I would say regularly, but probably more regularly than you want, obviously. Um we didn't know any of those guys, so there was no personal attachment there. Yeah. But, yeah, we're definitely seeing it. Um, and I think that's why some people get so affected by, you know, it sounds it sounds weird that people would come back with PTS from sitting in a room like we are right now looking at a screen that's a camera attached to an aircraft, you know, hundreds of kilometres away. Um, but I'll give you an example of how people sort of get to that point. There was one – there's one mission where we're watching uh, someone in place an IED uh, and we, we sort of, you can tell, so that they were reporting that through tearing out to the strike cell um, that I think were then punching across to the, the Yanks. They couldn't get comms with their convoy. So watching this guy in place, this IED um, for quite a while, and we can see the the camera keeps slewing up the road to this American com, uh, convoy rolling down the road, but they can't get comms. To oh convoy. fuck! So we're just watching this thing unfold, and there's nothing we can do about it. And then they smack it. They yeah. yeah. The guy runs off. He obviously sees it, runs off into the little village, um, and the convoy rolls over it. Luckily, luckily for them, he didn't have time to arm it. He just didn't. He just ran out of time. Um, but no one can get comms. Yeah. Fuck. So
0: I didn't think of that. Something like that. That's that
1: really weird. Frustration of just watching something happen. Helpless, been broken. helpless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And doesn't matter if it's Australians or Americans, you feel the same, Exactly. So, um, some people were really affected by that. Uh, luckily, I haven't been affected affected by my deployments, but y-
0: yeah, fuck, I didn't think about it like that. And I'm yeah. sure that happened a
1: fucking handful of times, yeah. a few times. Yeah, probably. similar similar sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, different things trigger different things in different people. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course, mate. Yeah, yeah. Not, not
0: to mention, Canada was copping, uh, you know, a little bit of um fireworks yeah a couple of uh, rockets and
1: mortars and yeah you start off your trip throwing yourself to the ground like a spaz and then you finish your trip just continuing working on the desk yeah whatever
0: yeah (laughs) take cover and you're still sleeping like no i'm not i'm I'm going back to sleep i'm staying in bed i'm staying in bed fuck it (laughs) uh mate again you finished that deployment back to australia what's happening here are you getting any rank at this stage
1: uh, I think on that deployment I was a captain equivalent. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So you got, you got uh, made up overseas? No, nah, probably before I went, oh, yep. I think, 10, 11-ish. It would be around that time. Um, yeah. So it's automatic promotion similar to the army to captain and then it's um, selection boards after that. And just as an officer, mate, how, you know, each rank, it's kind of like, you know, I guess,
0: like a tier system for Qantas. You, you start bronze, silver... You know, do you get more perks?
1: Uh, you get more money. Yeah, uh, yeah. You get more responsibility. Yeah, but don't, don't get many more perks. Yeah, not until you get to that higher end. No, see. So, yeah, so I sort of, I sort of saw every rank up to captain equivalent, flight lieutenant. It's pretty similar. Like once you, once you're wearing flight lieutenant rank, people kind of know that you've been around long enough to half have an understanding of what you're doing, and they're sort of the workers of the officer ranks. Is is the flight lieutenant captain equivalent? Gotcha. Um if you have one strap on your chest, whether it's a thin one or a fat one, um, you don't know what you're doing. You've got no idea. And people know that, which is good, because you're sort of Teflon coated. Yeah. You can get away with a lot more. As soon as you sort of hit that two two straps, Captain equivalent, people start to expect more. Yeah. Um but they also know that you've been around for a little bit too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was a I was a dodger though, man. I dodged senior officer for I don't even know how many years—seven, eight years. Oh like, yeah? yeah, yeah. Is that was that the next step up from squadron lead? I say yep. major equivalent. Yeah,
0: major. equivalent. Dodged yep. it. So again, mate, from there you're back, back out to Force Squadron. Is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. Back to Newcastle, mate, or Williamtown, I should say. Yep. What's going on from there, mate?
1: From there, I, I had a pretty good understanding of what the guys were doing in operations. Um, so that led into. Some planning roles with those guys, some liaison officer roles with those guys. I'd uh, go away, embed myself in the headquarters, receive all their tasking, go to all the sort of planning briefs, um, debriefs, all of those mundane meetings, um, suck all the data that I needed out of that, and then and then give it to the give it to the teams um, as the liaison officer. So, I guess you know, I said I started very low in the in the tier system for. At four squadron, that's where I could demonstrate some value split across the three flights um, at the time. So there was there was a flight which was the PC9s, so the FAC, FAC aircraft. Yep. B flight, which was the combat controllers, and C flight, which is the ADFJ tech school. So then I started dabbling in all three of those flights, and, and the job actually became quite interesting. Um, yeah, it just gave me the prerequisite kind of background and experience. Um, doing the stuff with the Reapers over there and then, you know, even just being on that deployment and then figuring out as the months went on how everything fit in through NATO, uh, where our tasking was coming from, what was up at how the how the tasking and planning process worked. And then coming home with that knowledge was obviously beneficial. Invaluable, yeah.
0: So how was Air Force headquarters? You know, this is where
1: the… Don't start me.
0: Yeah, the conjunction of…
1: It was… The most horrible posting of my career. Was it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, some people are built for that. So I did six months there in between some courses. They needed a gap filler. Um, hated it. It's uh, it's a very, very strange community down there. Like you're in a blue – you're in your uniform in your blues. Like the full dress? Uh, short sleeve, depends yep. what you want to wear. Yep. Um, but, you know, ribbons every day. Yeah. Um, and you clock in and clock out of work like a, like a civilian. There's no, there's not much camaraderie. It's it doesn't feel like a squadron or a or a flight or you know a platoon company. Um, the hierarchy didn't care so much about the people below them. They cared more about how their boss perceived them. Mm. So an example there is sitting at work at four thirty on a Friday afternoon after the rest of the air force and military is finished because the director of your cell might see you not at your desk. So just doing things for the sake of doing things, which really irked me. Um, I came into a unit with um, some leadership that wasn't tracking things at the lower level. And because I was that sort of mid middle level officer or junior officer, um, I could see it and I started to talk to these civilians, APS people, um, enlisted, enlisted guys and girls, and they would divulge all this information that those senior ranks weren't tracking. So there was people looking for other jobs, there was people looking to discharge, people were super unhappy, they didn't want to come to work. And all it took, I actually learned a lot in that posting. So as much as I didn't enjoy it, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about uh, leadership and how simple it can be Yeah, in terms of, Let's go and do some PT together, that old chestnut. Yeah. And I will would throw a barbecue and I'll put beers on and watch the morale go through the roof. Exactly. Because they know that those people give a shit. Or like, how was your weekend, mate? How was your little girls? Blah, blah. Just giving people the time of day. Making people feel valued is not difficult.
0: No, definitely not.
1: People overcomplicate this whole leadership concept. Um, you know, I subscribe to resilience-based leadership and and – you know, if people that are working for you can see you pushing yourself and challenging yourself and putting yourself through crucibles and they have a lot more confidence in you. But um, it showed me how simple leadership can be and how much of a change that can make. I watched this kind of – the cell I was working in change. I took a, I took a guy who was the Air Force um, like internet site geek, lovely guy, completely off his job. Wanted to leave was looking for other work, and if we lost him, like he was a massive asset for the air force, but he wasn't being led or managed either. Yeah, um, I took him to the gym, and I was training for a, a fairly um, fairly hectic course at the time, so I was training mornings and afternoons. So I was pretty fit and pretty strong, and I put him through a session that had been written up by a PTI that a lot of people know, and um, he passed out and smashed his face on the bubbler. Oh, did he? Yeah. Knocked himself out. (laughs) Knocked himself out, and my boss was so worried um, because I think he was APS. Like, what's the liability of an unqualified? I'm not a fitness instructor training this APS or contractor, and then he knocks himself unconscious. Um, But taking those guys to the gym, getting them involved in just whatever was, it was mind blowing for them. It's just someone showing they gave a shit about them.
0: Yeah, mate, I guess that's a tip for young players or tip for young officers is, you know, it goes back to that, you know, there's that, you've probably seen those memes or those things on the internet, a boss versus a leader Mm -hmm. type thing. And there's a lot of bosses out there and there's no leaders. And that's one of the things, as you said, you learn a bit of leadership and understand that you've got guys below you that look up to you Mm -hmm. for direction and leadership and, Show you know, show them how to do things, you know, not what they're doing you know, show them when they're doing something wrong, mm. but fix them mm. and train them at the same time.
1: Yeah. I was, um, I was pretty jaded in that job to be honest. Oh yeah. 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 You're thinking about discharge or anything? Or I'd was... failed a course prior to it, yeah. just failing on failing. Um, I was in that job and then I was going back to retry this course. So I was already in a bit of a weird mental state, uh, I'd been sent down there to fill a gap that Air Force needed filled, Short, pretty short notice. It was a full removal um, for six-month posting. So a full removal and then six months later, full removal back to Newcastle, which was a massive um, upheaval. And I got into the role and the person that I was um, taking over from was a very different person to me, put it that way. Um, there are some people that are built to bounce around positions in Canberra and get promoted. And there are people that um, will never see time at a at an operational squadron in their career. And that, that's like sometimes that's by design. Sometimes that just happens to people. But I was coming from a different world and I was put into this office space where um, no one really interacted. The leadership were completely disconnected. Um, and, and the junior officer level uh, were sort of trying to pick up the slack a, a little bit. Um, So I remember handing over um, to this person or handing over from this person and laughing at her like in her face because she didn't know a certain thing that was very basic. I think we were talking about um, jets breaking the sound barrier and she said when they do the big loud boom thing. And like that's how disconnected some of these people are. Um, She absolutely cracked it and then my major equivalent asked to speak to me in an office It was open plan office. And I said, no worries. And she said, um, the first thing she said when we shut the door and sat down is, what's wrong? And I said, permission to speak freely, ma'am? And she said, go ahead. And I said, I don't fucking want to be here. Like, I never wanted to be here. I didn't put my hand up for this. This is not the Air Force that I've signed up to sort of serve in. Um, This is weird. It's an office format. We're doing all, all admin tasks. These people are all unhappy. And then you've got... These people that are leaving these positions because there's a position that's they've found that can get them promoted quicker, just a super strange um, setup. Seeing behind the sort of black curtain a little bit, it was gross. So she was like, she was like, oh, what have I got myself in for for the next six months? I could see it in her face. <laughs> she was defeated. Um, but I turned it around. I did some good work there, and I obviously worked with the team a lot, and uh, and I did learn a lot. Didn't enjoy it though. To me, the best view of Canberra is in my rearview mirror. Like, I despise that place. Um, <laughs> the place might be fine. It's just the jobs that you do down yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. I yep. no fuck, Canberra. Yeah. Not a fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not a fan. That's where the government fucking resides. <laughs> yeah. So I learned, as I said, I learned a lot. I learned how to be a leader. Yeah. I watched a, um, I don't remember what rank she was at the time, group captain, colonel equivalent, um, dominate. Like, very, very competent, um, great leader and would work for her in a heartbeat again. She's she's still serving. Um, and then I watched some half-colonel um, equivalents within that building um, That I, and I learned a lot about how not to be a leader from, from those people. Yeah, right. Which, to be honest, is just as valuable. Yeah. It's more painful. Exactly. More, exactly. more painful at the time, but, you know- Take take everything you can from yeah. The, the so
0: situation. in in a way, it was a, one of the worst postings, but you learnt the most from it because you learned how you know with with people management etc. Hundred percent. Yeah, mate. From there, <clears throat> you get a posting up to the F eighteen A and B training school, which is two. That's good. OC yeah <laughs> two, two <laughs> OCU. I can read. Oh, I'm an inventory <laughs> guy. I can read. <laughs> mate, w- what is two OCU?
1: Um, second operational conversion unit. So it's the, it's the Hornet school. It's where the pilots, they come through, um, basic flying training school on like the CT4, the plastic parrot. Then they go to the PC9. Well, you used to go to the PC9. It's now the PC21, um, which is just a faster prop driven aircraft. Then they go in and fly the Hawk, uh, in Perth, which is, uh, obviously I've never done the training, but how to fly a jet. And they skip across to Williamtown, how to fight the jet, still in the Hawk. And then they would come, they'd bounce into 2OCU, which was the the Hornet School. So it was kind of the culmination of that whole flying pipeline to be a fighter pilot. Um, there's a couple of flights under 2OCU. Uh, one was the students, like I just spoke about. One was refresher training for, for guys who had been out of the jet for a while. They'd come back, do a refresher to jump back in and fly again. And what's your role for this? I was the operations officer again. Yep. Um, It was more of a similar to what I spoke about when I first joined Four Squadron. It was pretty naughty flying ops, um, saying ops copy on the radio, writing down hours, logging all that sort of stuff, doing a little bit of planning, helping the XO out, all that sort of stuff. Um, I reasonably quickly got shunted across into a tasking officer position, similar to a few of my other roles, um, where I ran the schedule. So I sequenced all of the syllabus for the students uh, to make sure they were getting all of the um, the learning they needed to pass. So every, you know, it's broken down into lessons and flights to make sure that every student got everything. Um, and I ran the, the planning for, for the course, which was actually quite enjoyable. It was challenging. You know, when old mate comes to me and says, I've got a dental tomorrow at eight o'clock in the morning and it's five o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. Like, Thanks, mate. Let me just Tetris this shit into this massive whiteboard of stuff I've got here. Um, but it was good because I got to know the other – the great thing about that posting and it's still serving me now in my, in my current role outside of defense is I got to know a whole generation of fighter pilots because all the new guys came through – and not just fighter pilots, guys that didn't get through the course that went to C-17, C-130, all of the lift assets, you know, um, E-7, whatever else. So I got to know them as well. But um, I definitely leveraged that network. So I saw all of that generation of really young guys, one of which was Vinny, come through the school. Um, but I also saw all these guys that were old hats at the major and above level come through refresher training. Um, so I met all the execs too. And they are now um, very high up. So I know that whole swath of people obviously it's going to run out pretty soon because yeah slightly pushing up and out but yeah um, it's been super useful
0: yeah definitely definitely fucking within that pipeline too of all those pilots mate. there's a you know a few combat uh like Vinny done their done their missions in the in the live uh, area of operations which is pretty fucking cool mate and especially what they do obviously the whole top gun fucking movie shit (laughs) too I me, mean, I love
1: that shit. <laughs> yeah, Vinny hated it. That, yeah, yeah, I haven't even seen it. Oh, I fucking f- love it, gross, yeah. mate.
0: It's really weird. Like, obviously, the Air Force completely fucking hate
1: Top Gun. And I think some guys do like it. And I think from talking to um, Super Hornet guys, I think some of it was reasonably realistic. Oh, Was it? Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah I've got I haven't seen it, so I'd, I wouldn't know. Even if yeah. I was watching it, um, but yeah, it'd, it'd be surprised. It'd probably surprise you how many Air Force guys did watch it. It's gross to me, though. I fucking love it. I'll probably watch it eventually, but I wasn't like frothing to go and watch it at the movies or anything like that. (laughs) Yeah, I was, mate. I fucking love it. (laughs) Yeah, that whole generation of guys that came through to OCU would have all deployed. Yeah. As we were flip-flopping Classic Hornet and Super Hornet in and out of Iraq.
0: Yeah, that's it. And fuck, you had blokes like uh, old school Matt Hall, you know, that flew. And, you know, he flew
1: there F-18, but Mm. for the Americans – Mm, which was on really strange. Yeah, I've got a buddy who flew for the Marines. Yeah, uh, he's out now, but he um, he's living in the states. But yeah, he flew for the Marines, and I think he at the time had dropped more bombs himself than the the F, like Australian Air Force. Same had Same as for Matt Hall, um, or whatever.
0: Yeah, Matt yeah. did the same for the inv- He was a, part of the invasion. In All right, first, first one. Fucking Sam sites and everything. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, I went flying with him. Uh, fuck last year, mate. He made me spew everywhere. Yeah. Huh. fuck, mate. Never do that again. That's for sure. Yeah, those little things that he flies. Stupid, mate. Absolutely, fuck him. When we were flying up, and he stalls it, and just, just. Oh fuck!
1: Yeah, I've been down to his little strip down cool. the lake. I, I did a sky like a skydive. Oh, did you? There, yeah, onto yeah. the beach. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty fucking cool place.
0: Now, made you spend say two years there, and then back to fucking four squadron again. Mate, I can't get away from them. Can't get though. away. yeah. Just keep getting
1: sucked back into the vortex.
0: Yeah. So um, that's basically just across the street because all that F-18 stuff was up here. Is that, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So yep. uh, the the unit was um, probably a couple hundred metres away from from 2 OCU. Um So yeah, not far away at all. I actually work the next building over as a civilian now to where I was. Yeah, yeah right. It's pretty strange. Yeah.
0: Fuck. So back to 4 Squadron. You yep. spent about two years there, mate. Yeah, What's going on just –
1: just uh operations operations support um, across the three flights obviously getting involved with more stuff now um helping the XO out a lot with six monthly planning so running the six monthly planning battle rhythm for the unit getting all the tasking out of air command down to down to the well it goes through the group and then the wing and then, and then to us um but making sure the whole squadron is sequenced up and we're, we're ticking off what we need to for air Force
0: Yeah. Are you still, is there still talk about Iraq and Afghanistan? Obviously, Afghanistan in a combat side of things on the ground, that's fucking wound up. But we still do have the Australian embassy in Kabul and there's still elements out there around, you know, around that Kabul and uh, Bagram area. Is there any talk of anything that's gone? Obviously, again, Iraq 2016, ISIS is still fucking being silly buggers in Mosul.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't exposed to a lot of that stuff, no. No, no, I'd like I'm sure it was getting around in the flights mm-hmm. up and down the hallway. but um, I was sort of off in my own little planning world, just trying to help run, run the squadron. More for training. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, training. Yeah, not really operationally focused, yeah. no. Yeah.
0: Mate, from there, air combat group plans, combat control planner, 2018.
1: Yeah, so because I'd had the exposure that I've spoken to you about, um, but I wasn't a hack qualified guy, uh, That I went into – air combat group plan, so a group level um, planning role. They have a planning cell, I want to say, in there, run by a half colonel. I went in there in a cohort ord role, um, which looked like taking all the tasking from air command um, and then divvying that out between all of the wings and squadrons in air combat group uh, and then running a six-monthly planning battle rhythm and tasking battle rhythm from OC to CO to XO and integrating at the XO kind of level uh, to make sure that they were happy with the tasking they were receiving and that they could achieve it. So similar to all my other roles, I had to fight for more responsibility and more interesting sort of um, jobs and facets to that role. So they had a guy who was doing, lovely guy, lovely guy, and um, he was doing the combat control plans role for 78 Wing. He was a caribou background um, and because I'd been exposed to the things I'd been exposed to uh, in the past, I had obviously a bit of a better grip of what what that capability was and how to plan for them. So it was kind of a natural fit for me to slide into there and, and then he sort of kept the rest of his portfolio. Um, so I'd go to all of the planning conferences and represent um, the squadron. I would then bring that information back and run – Squadron level planning conferences and inform them on what the exercise was going to be, what assets they had, what sandpit they had to play in, what toys they had, who they were going to play with. Um, make sure that the logistics piece was squared away, um, and, and suitable, but also make sure that the training they were going to receive uh, was valuable. Yep.
0: Yeah, right. But just for the listeners, the caribou old fucking
1: old lift asset. Yeah. <laughs> they go, um, they they go almost so slow that they look like they're gonna fall out yeah. of the sky.
0: Yeah, very, I jump jumped out of one.
1: Pretty cool though. Yeah. Cool asset. Like very yeah. short short takeoff. Well that was
0: that was I think that was the positive you yep. could literally Massively positive. It was landing in Holesworthy. That's how mm. fucking crazy these things are. Down, up, bang, yep. Fucking forever
1: leaking hydraulic fluid and Yeah, they don't need much uh, much speed to get lift. No. That was the best thing no. about them. I
0: think they're, they're retired now, aren't they?
1: Yeah. For sure, yeah. yeah ages ago, yep. Probably
0: bring him back one day. Who knows? Australian Army mate, <laughs> defence force in two
1: point Yeah, fuck.
0: That's crazy. And did you see that fucking uh, that Marine Osprey went down the other day?
1: I did. Yeah, yeah. I know a bunch of those guys. Um, yeah. I don't know if the names have been released yet, but I work with a bunch of those guys in Darwin. Yeah. On the rotation. Um, great, great dudes. Like and dudettes, I should say. They um, they've always. They always want to say yes. Like they always want to support. They'll go out of their way to support. Um, I've worked with other assets where that's not the case, but those guys are amazing. What yeah. They do. And that that asset, you know, it's very capable. It's, it's insanely capable what that thing can do.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Obviously, it's thought that, uh, you know, the vertical takeoff and mm-hmm.
1: fuck, it's, it's loose up. Surprisingly fast when they do that transition, because they're only just a little bit slower than Herc they're much oh, they smaller. Hear, right? yeah. The acceleration from when they're vertical to moving forwards is quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah. They can pull a little bit of G as well. Um, Fuck, it's been a lot full out of the sky over the years. They have, yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Which is, uh, you know, that's
0: either technology or pilot error. Yeah. Just generally the way. I'm not sure. Maybe
1: a bit of both. Yeah. Of I course, know they yeah. transitioned. It was a good couple of years now, I go now, um, I'm sure, some Osprey guy will listen to this and be like, that's bullshit. But they they transitioned, this is what I was told. They transitioned from needing a rotary wing certification and fixed wing to only needing the fixed wing component because the avionics got so much better in that in that um, airframe. Yeah, right. It's kind of weird. There's some osprey bike out there's a gnat. He's talking shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably. Read that on news.com.au. I made that up. <laughs> As you said, you spent probably about two years there. How are you going uh, mentally? And you know, good man. Yeah, just starting to get back into the swing of things, loving it. No thoughts of discharge or anything. Um,
1: I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I was definitely on the fence. Like that, that role I'd been in for that many years was always supposed to be a lily pad into something else, and I kind of just weasled my way into all these different random jobs, which kept it interesting. So um, I'd never made the jump, but my boss at the time. Uh, We had an interesting relationship and um, we're both probably um, more similar than we wanted to admit, but um, he spoke to me about he knew I was on the fence uh, and he knew I was in some of the stuff that I was doing, I was coasting because I could uh, and I was pouring my energy and time into other things outside of work. And so when this – I actually had a job offer while I was in that role – um, for the company that I work for now, and he almost encouraged me to take it because he's like, "I can see that you're, I can see that you're coasting. I can see that you're kind of not fulfilled here. Um, make make your mind up." And then after that, I actually got this job offer through a guy that I work with at Two OCU back in the day. This Hornet. is a private job offer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. A Hornet pilot. Um, he was a reservist at the time. He'd gotten out to, stay to start a HR company in town here in Newcastle uh, with his wife. Um, and he was going into a defense arm of that company to start picking up contracts on base. So he needed a couple of people to (laughs) fill those first few roles to get it, to get it, um, ticking over. So I took the role. Um, it was an opportunity too good to sort of pass up, but I did a Circat six, service category six arrangement. So it meant I worked two or three days a week in uniform and two or three days a week in like corporate wear. Yeah. It was a good, it was a good deal. Super difficult to get approved. It does happen. but um, So you're still full-time Air Force. You but are. Yeah. CV at the same time. Mm.
0: That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing with it is they can rip you back into uniform whenever they yeah, want. Yeah, of course. Um, but it was a nice little way to transition softly out. Because I took that option, I got um, pushed across into another role outside of that planning cell, which was fine I only working two days a week. And it was a pretty easy job. So I was focusing more on the civilian stuff. And then when that eventually, I think it was three or four, maybe a bit more months. It's tactical air wing? Um, no. No, tactical air wing would have been the posting that I was supposed to take right before I discharged. Never worked this job. Yep. Yep. <laughs> reading. Reading. <laughs> reading. <laughs> um, yeah. So I eventually it became full time. Uh, in 2020, I discharged. Um, so I put on RM Williams' gear, the old officer 101, yeah. <laughs> and started life as a civilian. Still working on the air force base. Um, How
0: did uh, how'd the air force take it? Did they try and you know? Because I know the whole retention thing and struggling to keep people these days. That they throw a carrot at you, like is, so, is 40 grand. No, stay for another two years because they'll doing it with they'll do it with the army at one stage for the. Sergeant stuff stuff like he's 20 grand for
1: yep. two more years. Retention benefit. Yeah. yeah. I think I missed the boat on that. I think it, I had to join earlier or something like yep. that. Or maybe it was 15 years service. Yeah. There was some, I would didn't get it. Um, but no, there was, there was nothing like that. Like I, as I said before, I dodged promotion for so long that it got to the point where we've got in the Air Force, we've got um, professional military something training PMET. Um, which is like homework, a whole bunch of essays. You've got to go and do a course. Oh, dear! Like in, I think it's in Wagga. Homework, yeah. Yeah, um, to pick up senior officer. Well, to pick up captain now, equivalent, and then senior officer. And I dodged it. I didn't do it. just didn't do it. <laughs> because I was like, this is a way that I cannot get promoted to senior officer. I don't want that yet. So I just didn't do it. And then it rolled around and rolled around. And then the group ended up saying to me, you need to do – your essays and do your, do your coursework or we're going to charge you. So I did my coursework. The year after that, I was on promotion. Um, I never took it because I jumped out. Yeah, we jumped out before they could sting you.
0: Yeah. So you put your discharge in, yep. obviously, fuck that, I don't even try to fucking keep you which is, <clears throat> which is wild. You know, they harp on about, you know, people leaving early and all this type of stuff, but yeah they don't want to retain an officer as well. You know, they've spent all this money training
1: you up and doing your things. And it's different for aircrew. Like, they definitely would try and retain them. Um, but for a support guy, like, there's dumb dozen. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. It's just the way it's set up, I think.
0: So from there, mate, as you said, you start this uh, this new civilian job, but at the same time, you, you rather than completely getting out of Defence Force, you go back to
1: the Chocos, the Reservists. Yeah. Yep. I've just done a just done an easy sort of reserve job since then. I can do mostly from home, um, but still add value um, and throw a uniform on each now and then if they, if they need me to. Yeah. I just need a lot of flexibility. That's the thing. So, um, but yeah, through the, through the corporate work we we're on and, and went back to work at the Air Force base the next day, which was pretty strange, although I'd sort of transitioned that way anyway with a couple, a couple of days. Um, so it felt less weird, but uh, I loved it. I'd, I'd, you skip out of all the kind of don't put your hands in your pockets and don't drink brews while you're walking around. Don't be on your phone. You can do like, yeah. None of that applies. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Walk on the grass.
1: <laughs> yeah. First name basis with all the with every rank, which is nice to be able to pick up a phone and just speak to someone that can actually get something done, um, and not be so hamstrung by the chain of command all the time.
0: Yeah. In, in, just quickly make in regards to this this CV job.
1: What is it to the air force? It's an uh, excon, we call it. It's an Excon role, so exercise control. So there's ten of us. We um, assist with planning uh, most of Air Force's major domestic exercises, and then we d- we go away mostly to Darwin, but some other locations as well. And we uh, we run White Force for for the for the exercise, make sure it sort of executes, do all the documentation around. Um, that exercise so that we can provide the best training for all of the communities involved in that exercise.
0: And most of these guys are all ex-Air Force? They're all ex-Air
1: yeah. Force, one ex-Navy. Yep. yep. But he had, did an Air Force role on exchange kind of thing. So Yeah,
0: yeah. and just, you know, you, you're kind of working for – you're working with people that you used to be in the Air Force. Yeah. Is it, is it, yeah.
1: Yep. yeah. 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 So you understand it completely. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but – Yes, 90%. I know, I know what you mean. Um so I, I just did an exercise recently where the, the big cheese in charge was a guy that was a major equivalent in Afghanistan with me. So and he's now a now a colonel. So definitely that network is um very, very helpful. Um in this in this position. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And
0: mate, during this time the Brazilian jiu jitsu, like where's this come into play?
1: You, you... Yeah. Um I started I want to say about four years ago and with a buddy of mine who's a ex-Royal Marine Commando. Um, and at the time there was, a, there was a group in the UK that you might have heard of called Reorg that were like getting really popular and t- getting a lot of traction. And through starting Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I, I looked at this Marine mate of mine and, and we both sort of said, we can see how this would be very beneficial for veterans and first responders' men, uh, mental and physical health. And I love the idea of Reorg and I actually reached out to them and said, Do you want to start an Australian arm of Reorg? Um they never got back to me, so I said, Screw it, I'll start something of my own. It's obviously a lot smaller than Reorg. is massive now. Um but it's the same sort of backbone as Reorg. So Because um,
0: we- he's a marathon runner as well. Is it we're we talking about the same guy? What's his name?
1: No. No. No he's that's part of Reorg Reorg, that's, Reorg as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of them, I think. Yeah, I think Sam yeah. was the guy that started it. Yeah. He was a PTI yeah. in the Marines. Um, but they've got Tom Hardy as their ambassador. Yeah, I, saying, uh, I know you, I know exactly the group you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, they've done really good stuff over there. Um, so we started like a very small version of that here and it was just me essentially just bumbling my way through trying to set up a not-for-profit organisation, Incorporated Association, which was the easiest way to get it done with a board a board of people that were kind of just there to tick the box to be legal. Um, we still do, obviously, general meetings once a year and keep it all running, but the vast majority of it has been me. Um, and I did a, b- a bit of research into what they've observed in the States using jiu-jitsu as part of a holistic kind of medical-backed program to help with PTSD and, and also physical um, injury recovery, um, and it's very beneficial. You can kind of I'd say to people, it's very difficult when you're on the mats um, sparring with someone else to think about anything other than not getting choked or choking that person. Yeah, yeah. If you think about anything else, you're probably going to get choked. You're going to get just. choked, yeah. yeah. So it turns all that head noise down for these guys. It also gives them uh, like an instant community of entrepreneurs. Uh, the gym that I train at here in Newcastle, just around the corner actually, Guerrilla Jiu-Jitsu, we have some, a lot of professionals in there. so you've got those opportunities to interact with the community. If you're looking to transition out of the military, you can also speak to people who aren't the normal sort of people you'd have a brew with at work and and then relate to them. And there's not much more you can do. Um, there's, there's nothing that really, I think bonds you as quickly as, as fighting. Yeah. So the guys and girls start to trust each other very quickly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's like a, another little community. Yeah. So yeah. we started this program. It's 12 months. So we do a um, we sponsor them for twelve months. It includes all of their jujitsu um, lessons. Uh, it includes all their gear if they need it. So we buy all that for them. Uh, we've got a masseuse that's working with us locally to Newcastle. I have um, a clinical dietitian who we can access. We haven't yet, but we will in terms of group kind of education sessions. Um. And so, yeah, we're trying to make it that little bit more holistic, but it centres around combat sports. It doesn't have to be jiu-jitsu. Like I would sponsor someone to do a different combat sport. It's all very similar in terms of the mindset, but it, it's always just been Brazilian jiu-jitsu.
0: And this is for veterans and first responders.
1: It is, yeah, yeah. Yep. So we had a police officer in the program just recently. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's very difficult to get into that community, as you might understand. Yeah. Um, but I was. You know, I'm hopeful that more. Police officers want to come and join Harbour Combat Sports now.
0: Yeah, definitely. So they should. I think it's a an invaluable asset for them to learn yeah. this type of grappling and for for the for their street job as well. Hundred percent. Yeah, they, I think, the I think training, that's what they lack in.
1: Yeah, the training they receive yeah. is woeful. Not very good. No. Yeah. Um. From from what they've told me. So it's it's a useful skill for them to learn, but it's also very beneficial for their their physical and mental health. Exactly. So it's double edged sword. Yeah.
0: Right. So again, just. In regards to your uh, non-profit, mm-hmm. basically you raise funding, uh, get these guys that have their issues, and you bring them in, pay for their training, pay for their kit, and just yep. give them a, a, a place to be we and do, yeah. you know a sense of purpose, and obviously the training. And-
1: yeah, if they um if they require a mentor, we'll assign one off the board, or or someone who's kind of a trusted insider for Harbour. Um, there's a few guys that kind of um are at that purple belt and above level within Harbour facilitators if you want to call them that so we do assign a mentor to them um to just sort of check in um at regular intervals if they need it depending on sort of um their conditions and yeah they they go through there it's really nice to watch them go through their brazilian jiu-jitsu journey and and watch them progress and watch their confidence come back and watch things like physical tics disappear and their personality changes um yeah it's been it's really nice it's been really nice to observe that
0: that's awesome mate that's that's awesome. And again mate we spoke about Vinny uh, his podcast will be all coming out at the same time as yours pretty much. You know, I'll tr- try and get these two out in the same week. Yeah, nice. So we can understand exactly uh, what you guys are doing. Now, we spoke about it earlier right at the start of the podcast. We spoke about this 250 for 250. I Now, yourself and Vinny's uh, non-for-profits have come together yep. to complete this 250 for 250. So, mate, run us through
1: this. Yeah, so that's 250 kilometres over five days from Sydney Harbour through to Newcastle Harbour. Which is wild. So it's a great, yeah, it's a great North Track. Um, so we'll join forces. So we've both got a team that we've put together, and they'll, they'll walk together um, for the vast majority of the time. Uh, we've put a bunch of planning into it. Harbour did it a couple of years ago um, with a team of, I want to say five, three of them finished, um, two ended up with injuries, but we raised seven or eight thousand dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but for, for Harbour that's that's mind blowing. That's that sets me up for sort of close to 12 months in terms of sponsorships at the growth rate that we're looking at. So it's hard. I oh, look, I've done some decent stuff um, throughout my career, but it's, it's not, it's not to be underestimated that track. There's a lot of climbing, um, 50 plus Ks a day uh, on your feet and um, yeah, it takes its toll.
0: Yeah. So it's beautiful. No, definitely though, mate. At I, the same time, I know all about fucking walking that far. Yeah. It's just a regular occurrence for the infantry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, mate. Yeah. So
1: when's, when's this happening? 18th of September is when the, the team steps off. Have you started training? So I'm not, I'm not doing the five days. Um, I have started training. Yeah. It, it'll be minimal training though. I'm, because I can't, um, commit to the five days, I'll be doing a back to back ultra marathon, um, over a two day period. So I'll do 50 Ks, 50 plus Ks one day and then 50 plus Ks the second day. And then I'll ask back to Newcastle for some other stuff that I've got going on. Yeah. So I'll kind of put myself through a bit of pain there and, um, And instead of doing the five days, I'll just do the two. So yeah, I am training for that, but I've got about three weeks to go. So strap in.
0: Yeah, 50 k's a day, fuck. I get tired driving 50 k's these days. (laughs) (laughs) Mates, uh, this has been really good to, you know, get you on to share the back end of what we don't see, especially for diggers or, you know, young air crewmen. Is that what they call them, air crewmen?
1: I believe what they call it like is a, air crewmen. Yeah. I believe it's, uh, it's airy. All, it's not airmen. And airmen, airmen that's it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, not, not it's not airmen now. It's, it's air people. Aviators. There you air, go. It came, aviators. It aviators yeah. It's avi- air it's people. people. It's neutral. <laughs> it's neutral now.
0: You know, we, for example, you know, for us, you know, being a grunt on the ground, you, you, you do these operations or you do these training exercises, but you have no concept of where it starts. Yeah, You just think it just appears and, you know, the the boss comes and goes, you got to go do this fucking yeah. catter or talisman saber and you just think it just happens. But obviously there's you guys in the background that are planning all this and getting it operational ready or training ready, mm-hmm. which could almost turn into an operational side of things. So it's great to hear the back end where it all begins because I had no fucking idea. I just thought it just yeah. appeared in a, a bit of paperwork.
1: and Yeah, 100%. I imagine – Mate, imagine if your bosses, as a dig, told you why you were doing something. Like, we're going to go and do weeks in Shoalwater Bay. You're going to sleep in the dirt. But they told you why. Like, the yeah. big picture, strategic reasons. I wish they did. Reasons. Yeah. You'd probably be a bit more motivated, right? You would be.
0: Yeah. That, that was the worst part. Yeah, you're going to go do this for three or something. Four. Yeah. I yep. just got back from Afghanistan.
1: Yeah, so it's not hard. <laughs> just tell people why and give them some ownership over yeah. the task. As shit as it can be, sleeping in the mud for that long, at least you know why you're doing it. But um, but yeah, I've kind of got that advantage of understanding that whole back end of where all the tasking comes from, preparedness directives all the way down to the squadron or the dig.
0: I guess at the end of the day, it probably is in the back of our minds the reason why we do all this training is for the real fucking world when it uh-huh. when it does happen. Mm. Yep, mate. Again, yeah, awesome, absolutely awesome, uh, mate. A couple of final questions. Yep, mate. First question. What advice can you give to people just to keep on keeping on complete any goal they set their mind to and just to crush in life again, mate, going through your career, there was 100%, multiple failures, yeah, multiple failures. And however, you overcome them and, you know, went a different direction.
1: Yeah. Yep. So, um, I think you can weaponize your failures and, uh, you can use them as a tool. So to build resilience and then set that bar as high as you possibly can. And I kind of subscribe to that, Um, building your resilience and and seeking out those crucibles to to put your hardness bar as high as you can so that you can kind of judge everything else that happens in your life off that hardest thing you've ever done. Um, For some people, that bar is quite low. For some people, it's ridiculously high. Um, But the higher you can set that bar, the the easier everything physically or mentally through your life becomes. Um, So those failures, like I love those failures, Like they sucked at the time. And I've had a lot more than I spoke about on the podcast today, um, but then turning them into a positive is what ultimately brought me the the career opportunity that I'm I'm just kind of sitting in now. Um, I've got a lot of freedom, and without those failures, I wouldn't be wouldn't be where I am.
0: Yeah, mate. Just to add a little bit to this first question, mate. You know, what are the most valuable things you've
1: learned? you know, within your 15 years as an officer in the Air Force? Um, As I spoke about earlier, mate, I think not overcomplicating leadership. Um, As someone who's been led and someone who has led, I don't think it's that difficult to make people feel valued. Um, It doesn't take a lot to make people understand that you actually care for them. I'll step back to that Air Force headquarters role that I disliked but learned a lot from. I actually had two flight sergeant level staff, which is your woe two, I yep, want to say. Yep. Ish. Um, diagnosed with cancer. So they were my two people that like my, my two subordinates, both diagnosed with different types of cancer while I was there for that six month period. Um, so what that taught me, which you know it was mind blowing that my two my two digs had both got cancer at the same time, but supporting their family and supporting them and not bending the rules but um, giving them whatever they needed to and whether that um, looked poor on my part, I didn't care. I don't don't care. I'll shield them from the person above me to make sure they're being looked after. And as a young officer, that taught me a lot. Um, It wasn't difficult to make them feel valued. I checked in with their family. I checked in with them every couple of weeks um, throughout their treatment, but I ran interference from all of the shit that was being showered from above and I'd take the hits. And I think as a, as a junior leader, you need to show that, um, you care more about your subordinates than your career. There's, if you flip that around, that's where you get toxic leadership. Um, I was never a career officer. so I was a flight lieutenant for eight years. Um, I didn't have interest in the rank. There's people that do have interest in the rank, and they're the ones that normally will shoot on their subordinates to climb the chain.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right, mate. That's, that's fucking really uh, valuable to hear. Mm. Again, tip for, tip for young players, as I'd say. Mate, uh, second question, what is the plans for the future? Again, mate, you've got this non profit with the jiu-jitsu side of things, mm. uh, 250 for 250. Yep. You've got this job still working with the RAF and a Choco at the same time.
1: Yep. Yeah, so there's a, there's a few plates spinning, but um, I've designed it like that, and I love it. Uh, grow, firstly, growing, growing the not for profit, um, and expanding. I've started um, sponsoring people nationally, so so that's an option. Um, that just looks like me speaking to a local gym that they kind of want to go to, and, and then and then uh, doing a lot of co ord with the owner or the professor, and teeing that up. So that's we're able to do that, which is nice. I don't have to stick to Newcastle now. Um, the nucleus is definitely here with Gorilla, um, and the owner there at Tari at um, Gorilla Jiu Jitsu has been a massive, massive um, supporter. Him and his wife, Ash, um, lovely people, and very supportive of the veteran community. But it's now nice to go national and offer kind of our program around Australia. I'd like to grow that. I'd like to have more. Um, part of the reason I'm here today is to get the word out there because a lot of veterans don't know this is a thing that they can reach out and try and no, definitely not take no. like have access yeah. to. So the hardest thing I've found as almost a one-man band um, is getting exposure and getting the word out, um, which Reorg has done very well. Um, the job, the the contracting role, like I don't see myself leaving that for at least the, the short term. Like I enjoy it. It's kind of similar to what I'm, I was doing in uniform, but as I said, more more impact, more responsibility and and weirdly more credibility because I'm wearing a home whims instead of a rank slide. I can step outside that rank structure a little bit and provide more value. Um, and then in the medium to long term, uh, I'm looking at going into coaching. Um, As
0: in personal coaching
1: or yeah, so, life coaching? So coaching. coaching. coaching I, I don't want to say life coaching. I know, That's I hate that word too. Yeah. Um, and even coaching is weird, facilitating. Yeah. But coaching, um, like men specifically. So I have uh, later in the year, a friend of mine. Um, will Burnett and myself uh, will be running a um, retreat for fathers. So more based around um, the healing of trauma. So uh, unlocking that trauma using different modalities and, um, and then integrating those lessons back into these people's lives. I'm definitely um, underqualified And learning a lot from Will, who's been doing this for a number of years. You know, the guy ran 81 consecutive ultras last year, ultra marathons from uh, Perth to Byron Bay for veteran mental health. At the same time, Ned Brockman was running, which was difficult because there was a lot of media focused on Ned, but Will was over in the background crushing world records. Um, So I've reconnected with him. I've known him for 15 years. We used to surf together on the Air Force team. So um, learning a lot from him, hopefully bringing some value Adding in some jujitsu to that, um, obviously I'm very junior for with jujitsu too, so I have to be really careful with what I what I do, and I pass that all through um, my professor. But I've found that is very good for resilience building and unlocking some sort of like primitive. Um, it's a trauma release tra- trauma release mechanism in itself, you know, getting guys a healthy release for their aggression. Yeah, but constructively. And um, guiding them through that process, even if they just get two hours of it, a lot of them then go and start training because they're like, "I love this. I want more of this in my life. I can see how good it is for my mental health." Um, so, yeah, all of those things that we've spoken about, then pushing that into um, working with with Will, who is supremely qualified um, to help to help people. I've wanted to help people as a career for for many years. And I haven't been able to make that jump. It's just not financially viable. And I, like, I'm not getting any. Um, I'm not getting paid for a lot of this stuff that I'm doing. It's volunteer based, just so that I can um, start to build a name in that space, start to build some experience, and then maybe one down, one day down the track, I can actually make that my full time career. That's kind of a dream. Yeah, cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. And uh, if people for Harvard Combat Sports website etc. Facebook, Instagram.
1: Uh, so Harbor Combat Sports Instagram and Facebook. Yep. Um the coaching stuff which is not even a thing yet but I do have an account. It's called Healing Heathens right now. Um the name may change in the future. It's already changed once. Yeah. So, I can't make up my mind. But um that's where it's Instagram only. I'm not a big Facebook fan to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it's, no. It's, it's too complicated. It's too much back end stuff going on there. Yeah, mate, I'm the same. I just just push the button that says post to Facebook as well. <laughs> yeah, punch it. Yeah. Send it, um, but yeah, they're kind of they're kind of the two. If if uh, if anyone wants to, because I know Instagram's really easy to reach out to everyone, because I do it all the time. So if any veterans or first responders are interested in the program, just jump on the Harbour Combat Sports Instagram and just send me a DM. It'll come direct to me. Um, that's another important thing to mention is that Harbour Combat Sports is so small, which I've is by design, that every dollar that's donated to ask goes directly to the program. I don't get paid when I have staff. Every dollar goes to veterans and first responders and getting them on the mats and into this program. Um, So I guess it's probably a good time to talk about donations for the walk as well. Um, They are through Kinfish, which is Vinny's Vinny's charity, has set up a link uh, which is on the 250 for 250 Instagram. Um, So have a look at that. Click that link. You can either donate or you can start your own walking team We've got three weeks to go, so you set yourself kind of a distance and you fundraise yourself for us, um, either Kinfish or Harbour, whichever one you kind of resonate with. And just quickly, Kinfish is a new charity that's trying to get veteran families into um, marine kind of activities, fishing or um, just getting them on the water to build morale and bring that family you know, closer together. So if you want to donate to the walk, um, you can go through that. It's a Raisely link. It's on the 250 for 250. I think it's on the Kinfish Instagram as well, so yep. jump on and follow them. Um, every $10 that you donate to harbor we'll get you one ticket in a, in a huge um, hamper that I'm putting together, similar to last time, but um, it's bigger this time. So there's a lot of small companies that are donating things to that hamper and there's probably a couple of thousand dollars worth of gear there. So
0: Yeah, nice, mate, nice. Mate, I'll definitely, uh, for the listeners, I'll tag all this in. So if anyone wants to hit the links, either listen to – uh, follow the post for uh, Luke's or Vinny's and it'll all uh, be tagged in. Mates, third question. Yep. Now, outside of being a fucking officer, mm-hmm. stand fast. Yes, no <laughs> biggie. Stand fast. <laughs> Mates, and, you know, just, just being a normal dude, mm-hmm. you know, outside of all, all that RAF stuff, Yeah, tell us like a guilty obsession or, you know, something that people don't know about you, you know, outside of jiu-jitsu, outside of charities, outside of the RAF, You know, what are you, what are you into? Sad movies, notebook,
1: Anything outside, mate. It's not a guilty obsession. Well, maybe it is an obsession. Um, as we spoke about offline, I've trained twice a day for 10 years. So fitness, fitness and strength, strength and conditioning is a big one for me and very important. Um, and really important for me to model that to my kids too. Um, anything outside, I I go hunting with with a friend. Yeah, nice. Um, Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, um, or as organic as you can get. As
0: in shooting, hunting, or yeah, yeah, knives, guns,
1: yeah, whatever, guns, yeah, Yeah, guns, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to kill it. I'd love to kill something with a knife, but it'd be pretty difficult, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've I've done the dog uh, dog and knives oh, before. Oh, yeah. it's fucking.
1: Yeah, I've never done that. Brutal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's caveman shit. Not a. Yeah, not keen. Yeah. Not that keen. Um, but yeah, hunting for, yeah, right. for deer mostly. Yeah, right. Um, okay. some bodies. I have to go out and shoot. I'm, I'm, I'm heading out on Monday. Nice. Yeah, now I shoot some pigs. It's so hard to get um, properties close to Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, mate, it is. Thing, is. You're driving five, six, seven hours to get, to. to get any spots. Yeah. Um, anything outside, so even even that is is just armed walking for me, as long as I'm in the bush, um, connecting with nature. It's very cathartic, and, uh, and I enjoy pretty much anything that is outside. I do a lot of trail running, obviously, right now, a little bit more than normal. Um that's why I'm so excited about this run through the Great North Track cuz it's beautiful. Literally anything outside I, I will do surfing. Um the hardest thing right now is just is fitting everything in between jiu Of course yeah. The kids, the charity and um, the kids walk.
0: kids take up a lot of fucking time, that's Running. for sure.
1: Yeah. And then I try and get um some functional fitness um, in there as well. Just, I can't just run because I, obviously you just strip off all your muscle and, and then you're injury prone. So I trained at a little gym up in Charlestown, Revel, um, R-E-V-L, run by an ex-army guy. Yep. Amazing little gym, like super cool community. I only started there a couple of months ago. I'll actually be wearing their logo on the um, on the back-to-back ultras. Um, really supportive of not just veterans and first responders but everyone. So. Very welcoming. Yeah, nice. I tried a few other CrossFit gyms around Newcastle and, um, you know, they're good, but they just didn't have the vibe. And then as soon as I sort of started at Revel, I went with a friend of mine um, that I served with and, yeah, walked through the door and it was welcoming. Yeah, because it's run by an army guy. Oh, mate. Yeah, Digger too. (laughs) Yeah. There you go, go, mate. Yeah. he just gave me a big hug. (laughs) I walked through the door.
0: (laughs) Mate, being a fitness guy though, I'm sure there's a, a dirty obsession for like a fucking zinger box combo or something. It has to be.
1: Oh yeah, like yeah. a like a. Now we're talking. Now we're fucking talking. Whopper with cheese. Oh, yeah. stop it. With barbecue sauce. Oh, fuck! I'm getting one right after of this. <laughs> <laughs> not not KFC though, mate. That, oh, that yeah, shit's right. gross. Oh, get out, get not, out! Not a fan. This fucking podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead to me. Yeah, mate. I'm I'm
0: a I'm a heathen for anything disgusting. Yeah. Fuck. Little you. little
1: drive through in. Uh, oh. That broad Meadow,
0: mate. It's like a vortex, you know. I'll be driving past anything or Porto, doesn't matter. It'll suck me straight a in. Gravitational pull, and great and straight in, mate.
1: I'll get whatever whatever dirty feed they've got. It's all those years of eating rat packs, mate. You gotta live it got is, I've up. I've got a box out there, oh, actually. Yuck, <laughs> yuck. Don't even show me. I that. know, <laughs> I've, I've acquired it. Very nice. They're, mate, about, they're about ninety bucks a meal.
0: Yeah, mate, they're, they're actually not bad. I had. I went hunting a few weeks back with uh, Raptor Thirteen, the police of ex police officer, mm-hmm. the naughty police officer. Oh, naughty. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh, he's not naughty. He, he was doing his job. Get amongst it. Uh, yeah, get him. Yeah, fuck, doing his job. Actually, he was doing his job. Just the rank structure. That anyway, off track. Uh, we took a ration pack. Got these. Uh, couple of chocks to sort me out with a couple of ration packs when I wanted to do a bit of a taste test. And I haven't had one since probably, you know, since I got out, you know, 2009 I think it was an exercise or so. Yep. And it's actually – like I, I guess you'd probably forget how shit they were, but and then I tasted them. I thought like, this is actually not bad. It's probably got better though. They have, yeah. Yeah, they definitely got better. There's is jerky, it? there's jerky strips, there's tuna fucking packets in there. Yeah, now. I know the ones you're talking that about. That shit didn't
1: exist back in, back Ch- in – Chilli yeah. tuna gnocchi. Oof. I haven't even tried that yet. Hopefully it's that one. It's two coins now. Obviously I'm out of the loop as well, but there's dehydrated ones uh, that you have to add water to, patrol rations. Oh, they were fun. Called. That were like, that's the gold Gucci. bars there. Yeah. yeah. But you got to carry a lot more water. Exactly. And then there's the, the wet rations that yeah. I think are still a lot that's better than they used to be. That, that, mate, I enjoyed it. I actually really enjoyed it. I've got a mate actually that, um, I've known for years and years and years and he's a Jew, massive Jew. Probably shouldn't say that, but, um, he, he, I, we would catch him eating um, russian pack noodles for lunch. Oh, well. Mate, we,
0: we, <laughs> I was actually just speaking, speaking to one of my mates the other day, yeah. and he was known for it. Like, he was that Jewish that would literally, you know, stop at McDonald's on the freeway at Singo, and, you know, yeah. he's got money, yeah. but he'd make other people buy it, but he'd eat rations back in the lines, you know. like Dude. That's disgusting but he's quite quite a wealthy guy now so kind of kind of makes sense jokes on us right yeah jokes on us mate actually quite funny you know i didn't expect an officer to be eating ration
1: packs <laughs> <laughs> yeah i you get served like a waiter's outfield. Some, some of the some of yeah i had a <laughs> a <little> like, butler <laughs> bat, batsman yeah, come and shave me and stuff in the morning <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah it's it's not like that some of the – yeah, <laughs> it's just some of the weird the weird spots I've found myself in cruising through the career, I've, I have actually in a fair few ration packs. Yeah. Which is surprising for a Rafi officer. It, it is. I mate. have slapped a keyboard for a number of years too, though. I'm pretty good at PowerPoint. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very oh, good at PowerPoint. I'd back myself. Death by PowerPoint. Far out. They used to kill me. Excel spreadies. I got you yeah. <laughs> Excel XL spreadies.
0: Mates, uh, I'll throw in a fourth question. Yeah. I've actually started throwing this in a fair bit lately. Yeah, yeah. Favourites? I guess, Air Force movie
1: or, you know, TV oh, yeah. show, I guess. My favourite, it's not an Air Force movie, but my favourite movie is The Odd Angry Shot, my favourite oh, military. Oh,
0: mate, like, stop it. Mm. I'd kill for Pasiana right now. Oh, mate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's such a classic, that movie. Dude, so, I,
0: I only just watched it the other day.
1: Yeah, right. Again. Really? Again, yeah. Well, that's good. So you, you remember the scene, I forget what, um. what's his name? Graham. Graham Kennedy. Graham Kennedy. Graham Kennedy. I forget what he says, but these two Chinooks come over the camp. So something like, oh, someone's- Oh, someone's. fuck, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so my grandfather was flying one of them. Oh, no way. Yeah, no shit. So yeah, I've right. got, a, um, got a letter, Well, my grandmother has, um, what's my dad's mum, has a letter from the, I want to say director or producer, um, probably director, thanking him for flying for the movie. Yeah. so are right. There you go, to it. Mate,
0: great fucking movie.
1: That is, is a fucking absolute classic. Even outside of that, the scene where they're- uh, it was a it's a spider and a and a scorpion? Fight, yeah, <laughs> massive blue. They don't make movies like that anymore. No oh, fuck, they couldn't mate. the shit
0: they said in there. Like, yep. couldn't you? They, they definitely couldn't make a movie like that. No. Especially you know, right at the, you know, right at the start of the movie, you get to see some titties too. i like,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not PC that movie, but that's no. really why it's such a such a lovable movie, Absolutely especially classic. Australian,
0: Australian class. I was I had a US bloke on actually, the Medal of Honor recipient. Asked him the question after we got offline. I said, mate, there's an Australian classic you need to watch.
1: Yep. And, you know, it's just, it's throughout it, it's just all Australian adage, you know, all of it. It's great because it, especially for foreigners, it explains the um, the larrikinism of the Australian military. Yeah. yeah. Which is lacking, lacking somewhat now, I think. Oh, fuck, PC's kind of shut that down, isn't it? You yeah. can't, it's, it's still there. It's just. Can't call a cook fucking a fitter and turner anymore. No. <laughs> it's just, it's just. Hidden, it has to be hidden now. You can, you just got to be really careful where you where you say certain things, and yeah, it's a different time. Yeah, it's nice to look back at that Aussie when it was just completely out in the open.
0: That's it, mate. They were drinking in operations, yep. and get the stick mag out and yep. have, a, have a breath there. Yeah, that doesn't exist anymore.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great movie. I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, mate. No, no air force movies. Top Gun. I can't. Yeah, I can't <laughs> think of an air force movie. I don't. I think. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Midway. That's a, a recent one. That wasn't yeah. bad. Yeah, actually. Dunkirk. Dunkirk was pretty good. Yep. with so all mate from uh, One Direction. Not One Direction? Yeah. I don't know.
1: But yeah, you know the. I know what it is. Yeah, I know I'm a massive One Direction I oh, yeah? Yeah. Get around it.
0: <laughs> kids, mate. You see? <laughs>
1: <laughs> one, two, I blame one. the kids, but I probably listen to it more. Yeah. Just in the car by yourself. Yeah. How good is it when you drop your kids off and you drive to work or wherever you're going? still listen to the yeah, you same get music? there and you're like, I've listened to this kid's playlist oh, the whole way.
0: Carly Rae. Jepson, Jepson, Jepsen, and anything that was on that. Uh, what's that movie with all the animals? And they're all singing, sing, sing. sing. What's called? Yeah, yep. dude, fucking hell, good to go. I think in my top, you know, when you get the Spotify thing at end of the year, yep. when it tells us, dude, it's like mine's like the Wiggles, yep. um, fucking Carly Rae Jepsen, Taylor yep. Swift. I'm like, dude, yep. where's my music?
1: And your release radar is just all kids' music. Yeah. It's, it's
0: funny, I did a podcast. Fuck, going off track. I did a podcast with the Blue Wiggle from. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, because he's ex army, ex 5'7, um, before he became a wiggle. Was he blue or red wiggle? The blue one. Oh, okay. Anthony Field.
1: Yeah. Great guy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: Great guy, mate. And, you know, I bring up the photos of my daughter a couple of times, three year old, and she's like, oh, I don't like him. I like Emma, Emma Wiggle. <laughs> <I'm pretty cool.
1: laughs> I like <laughs> Emma Wiggle too. He's the original. He's the OG. <laughs> he's, he's
0: the OG, mate. He's mm. the one that started. And he was an ex-grunt of all
1: things. Mm, that's cool. Fucking absolutely crazy. It's cool to see someone go completely left field and do something completely different. Yeah, exactly. And crush at it too.
0: Yeah, exactly. Completely off uh, left field. Now, mates, again, thank you for coming on, mate. Before we uh, cut away, mate. Yeah. Again, if people want to reach out to you, they can find you through- Through Instagram. Yep.
1: So the, the inverted commas coaching account that isn't a thing yet, but maybe in the future is um, Healing Heathens. Um, and then Harbour Combat Sports has an Instagram account and a Facebook account. There's a 250 for 250 Instagram, which will be Kinfish and Harbour kind of putting all the content through that one while we're walking, so live crosses, all sorts of stuff. Me in the Hurt Locker probably vomiting on a hill, (laughs) Um, my knees being the size of watermelons. And then Kinfish have their own um, socials too and their own website. The website's quite good too. Um I want to say kinfish.com.au, but I,
0: it is it is. I do remember it, it now that. that I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, Kin as in K I N not King. Yes. Yeah. Kin as in family. Yeah. I think he said that too.
1: Yeah. 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 So um Instagram is is my jam. Um so yeah, reach out on in any of those accounts. I manage the 250 for 250 and the Harbor one and obviously my own. Um so I'll get back to people as quickly as I can. Yeah, awesome. Um you know, If anyone is wanting to optimize themselves and, and they're a father and, and they want to get around some sort of um, some coaching, Will has a six-week course that he's running uh, very soon. He's onboarding people to that. Um, so there's a bunch of content on his Instagram about that as well. And then as kind of a culmination of that that six-week course, there will be a retreat that I'll go along and help him with and, and learn a lot, I think. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about these kind of modalities of um, – of trauma healing or, or at least um, I'm helping people to learn. And um, and I'm looking forward to it massively. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah mate, just quickly, and I know the listeners can't see this, but your shirt says State. It does. And they are sponsoring you for?
1: They are. They're sponsoring yep. me. Um, they're sponsoring the, the coaching account, um, which, as I said, isn't making any money right now because it's not a, actually a business. But um, they are sponsoring Harbour Combat Sports. They sponsor me as a person. Um, IT um, they're on socials my state I think it is on Instagram yep, yep. they have a website um, jump on there the crux of what state does is testosterone and estrogen regulation and cortisol regulation uh, in men and they have women's products that also um, you know add progesterone to that kind of mix um, which is supremely important I think especially in the veteran first responder I'll bring that back to the podcast, um, with PTS, stress, anxiety, uh, management, cortisol, as you know, is horrendous. Um, cortisol stripped me from 82 kilos to 68 kilos within the space of two weeks. Um, if you put yourself through enough stress and well, outside factors are stressing you on some of these courses and stuff, adding a whole bunch of physical activity and she comes off and it's mostly the cortisol taking the muscle. So, um, Testosterone regulation, in, um, especially in men, I think is something that needs a lot more spotlight, especially in the veteran community, because it affects everything. If your home hormones are um, out of balance, it affects your physical health and your mental health. So State are a huge um, supporter of what both Will and I are doing, the veteran community, um, and they enjoy supporting people who are doing things to better other people. Mm. Put it that way, I guess. Yeah, cool. Um, The brand is amazing too. Obviously, I love the logo. I love wearing it. They have women's women's supplements as well. It looks like um, tablets, caplets. They have a a tea, which comes out blue for men, which is pretty cool. Um, And greens powder as well as their merchandise. So jump on it. Um,
0: Yeah, it's pretty simple. Check it out.
1: Yeah, pretty simple to, to get around that and get your testosterone, estrogen levels leveled Yeah.
0: And Naturally. all legit, all legal, not uh, your Flip. typical WhatsApp uh, group, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> which I may be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me later. I need to put some weight on.
1: Um, no, so all herbal. Um, they have done human trials. So there's a bit of there's a, there's a bunch of research and, and backing there with evidence that that it does help. Um, Supplement that that just helps to regulate your testosterone and uh, unblock those testosterone receptors in your body, so you're using as much of your free testosterone as possible. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Fuck, you know a fair bit about it. Done a bit of research. No, awesome, mate. Otherwise, I wouldn't be wearing it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> mate. Uh, quickly, last quick question. There's yep. one thing I wanted to ask, fucking Vinny. Now, obviously, you've been in the air force, and yep. fucking aliens are running rife around the <laughs> you know the world at the moment. Yeah, what's going on, mate? Come on, sure you've seen something on that pred? Maybe
1: you know. I saw some weird shit in Afghanistan, but I didn't. I, I like I th- probably thought it was an alien at the time, but like on the screens. Um, yeah, they had some uh, experimental like aircraft. Radar shit. They had some experimental aircraft that hadn't been released to the public that were operating in Afghanistan at the time. The US, China, the, the US, China, China weren't there. Were, were they? Uh, maybe they were. <laughs> they were. probably watching. Um, yeah, so there were some weird things flying in and out of that airfield that uh, we had no idea what they were when they'd go into. Hangers that were, of course, yeah. Armed guards that were just in black. Is that one on Top Gun? I haven't seen Top Gun. Oh, you need to watch it now. Maybe that's Top Gun Two, maybe I'm it was. I'm talking, yeah, something similar to that. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, and if you didn't know what it was or who owned it, you probably would have thought it was an alien because it was an alien aircraft. It was a like a delta wing, um, jet. That's the one, unmanned. Yeah, that's uh, probably not the one. No one in there.
0: <laughs> yeah, fuck. But nothing else? Have you ever heard any stories from any pilots? Like we were flying and we saw a soft flying saucer?
1: No, I haven't. Maybe my security clearance was too low for them to divulge that information. Yeah, I'm
0: going to shoot Vinny a text. Is it? Mate, yeah. tell is, us. Have you seen any little green green things? He'll know, mate. Yeah. Did he, you ever get touched? Did, yeah. <laughs> probed.
1: probed. Did you get probed, Vinny? you <laughs> will love that conversation. Like Cartman with a – He'll feel really comfortable with that conversation. You should ask him. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, the Americans are coming out with, with all sorts of documentation.
0: They are. Crazy. I think they've got that, that, um, there's an actual, I guess, fucking unit that deals with it in the Pentagon now. Mm. Yeah. You can actually apply for a job there Mm. and look for aliens.
1: Interesting. But and they've declared it all. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? What do you,
0: what do you think? Do you think they're out there? I don't know.
1: I don't think there's a way that they can't be. Somewhere I in think the they universe. would have made
0: contact by now. The
1: great expanse of the taken universe. over. I've listened to a bit of Bob Lazar. Do you know who he is? No. The guy that leaked a bunch of information about Area 51. He's working in Area 51. Yeah, right. He's been on Joe Rogan. After, so, after I've listened to him. Yeah. yeah, big rabbit hole though. That's caution. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a big deep hole to go down. But yeah, Bob Lazar is a very interesting guy. And there was a I forget the guy who kind of brought him to light uh, and broke the story. And they are both on Rogan together.
0: I know the one you're talking about now because they talk about the pyramids as well. Th- but the holes in the side of the pyramids. I assumption.
1: think so, yeah. Yep. yep. Super interesting. But yeah, that, that guy legit was at Area 51 as a yeah engineer or whatever he yeah.
0: was doing. Yeah. Because there's these perfectly drilled holes mm. in these pyramids. They're like, yeah, right. Where do they get these fucking tools from? Yeah. There's no
1: Makitas back then. Yeah, well, how do they build the pyramids in the first place? Aliens. Heaps of logs to roll those blocks in on. Aliens? That's a-, <laughs> that's a lot of logs. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a mystery, isn't it? Yeah, but bubbles are worth a look. Bobblers are interesting. Aliens. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, I just thought I'd ask an Air Force officer. Maybe you had some top secret news you could share. Mate, I was too busy for well,
1: spreadsheets. <laughs> just spending eight hours a day at a computer. Just looking outside. Wishing yeah, I you saw
0: storm. a couple of aliens in the office. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Air Force headquarters.
0: <laughs> mate, again, really appreciate you coming on sharing, the, you know, the back end of the Defence Force and, mate, absolutely fucking awesome, mate. And, again, what you're doing with uh, not-for-profit, absolutely cool, mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. Hopefully thanks. hopefully, someone's out there listening and wants to get a part of it and hopefully can help them one day.
1: Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, for the exposure. Um, as I said, it's really difficult to get the, get the, uh, get the word out and let – veterans and first responders know that there's this thing that they can access um, and reach out to us and, and get involved. It's very beneficial.
0: Yeah. No, awesome mate. And uh, yeah we'll definitely stay in contact. Obviously you're newy boys, so yeah, dude. maybe we'll go hit up Fanny's one time and turn it on. <laughs> sounds legit damn fast. <laughs> sounds like a good Friday night. <laughs> Appreciate you mate. Thanks, brother. Wait, wait, wait. Now quickly just before you go, I want to tell you about three zero's coffee. Now as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men. Long and black. however lately i've moved into the cold brews i'm loving it obviously because the weather here in australia at the moment is quite hot so what i've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour over filter bags literally rip open the packet put the filter bag over my coffee mug a few ice cubes pour in some hot water let it cool down add a sugar or two just to make it sweet and i fucking love them honestly you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise. And just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our buyer, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.